Welcome to the Broad Talk with your hosts, Dan and James. Welcome to Grog Talk, uh, episode 20, Dan. 20 of these shenanigan-filled episodes. How are you today? I'm doing great. You know, it's not just episode 20, it's episode natural. Oh, right. it's natural 20. Okay, that's a good one. We need that. Uh, have you been working on that all day? <laughs> that's all I've got, all week. Oh, okay. That's all I've got. That's good. <laughs> Thanks very much. Anyway, we're, uh, we have our new format. We're just getting better and better all the time because, as you know, we... Uh, been put a lot of effort, and thanks to our patrons. And just real quick, I want to thank Max, who is our newest patron. He signed up at the silver tier, uh, so that means he gets a copy of the Fader Pelinor uh, soundtrack, which is a soundtrack of our of our uh, podcast. He'll also get the two uh, adventures that we're building for GrogCon this October, and he gets to uh, participate in one of our new segments, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But I wanted to introduce. Our guests, again, we have, we're part of the DM Session Series. Uh, we have a, a, a very great guest that Dan has known for a while. So, Dan, I'm going to let you introduce him. Yeah, so it's our pleasure to have Carlos Lysing on the show today. So, Carlos is the owner and lead designer of Castle Entertainment. Uh, he publishes adventures that are compatible with Osric, which many of you may know is a retro clone of 1E. Uh, he's a frequent dungeon master at conventions such as Gary Con and Gamehole Con. And I first met Carlos uh, at a Gary Con, not this last one, but the one before. Uh, and, you know, it sort of was like picking classes when you don't know any of the professors and you just pick, yeah. a, you know, I like this course. It was 1E. I, I like the, uh, so I liked the class and the time was good. And so I'll, I'll take this class. And right. uh, I... I was thrilled to have signed up for Carlos's game. He's an incredible DM. Uh, he, he influenced the way I DM. Uh, he really describes... Con he, so you know my view. This is the longest introduction, isn't it? Of yes, it is. You've been working about on me. this. It's good. Uh, you know how I feel about uh, combat. I think yeah. it's boring. I really don't like it. I, I want to get to role playing. But with Carlos's game, I found myself loving combat. Uh, and if you can make me love combat, yeah. then you've done something. Uh, so, uh, Carlos, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. It's it's my pleasure to be here, Dan. And, you know, actually for me, um, I'm kind of like you a little bit in that, is in that I'm really not huge into combat as far as the game goes. However, um, once I started to realize that the combat could actually be an extension of the role play itself, by getting into deep description of it and engaging your players in that fashion, I started to become a much bigger fan of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been, I think James, you noticed it when I came back, I started mimicking yeah. what Carlos had done. You know, so being very, you know, descriptive of, you know, it's I always wanted to know, well, what weapon are you using to describe the death blow and you know, describe the different attacks mm -hmm. and the damage that's being done. Um, even though, even though. I guess Gary Gygax says that hit point loss to players is not really necessarily wounds. Oh. It's a wearing down. But who Correct. cares? But it's fun to describe. So I still, you know, I think for the, for it, the sake it of the It is, game. but that's one of those situations. For example, let's say that your character has 60 hit points and um, you're a fuselot of arrows is being launched at you. You may describe the player characters as being behind their shield and, and they're weathering the storm of it and they just took six hit points of damage. 
that's an expression of the fact that they lost some luck there. They lost, you know, they've been worn down endurance wise, things like that. So yeah, your, your take on it is absolutely correct as far as I'm concerned. But again, that's another chance right there for, to really engage the players and ratchet up the tension that we all love. Yeah. yeah. So, so Carlos, can, can you remember or do you remember how you got in the hobby and what you're doing now? Um, kind of give us your background. Of course, yeah. Um, I started the game in 1978. Okay. Um, I was born in Chicago, Illinois, and I had no idea of this cultural revolution that was going down right up the road from my house. But um, I had a friend of mine, my best friend at the time, I went over to his house. It was Christmas break, and his mom and dad had bought him the Holmes Basic set for his birthday. I looked at it, and I saw the cover, and I was like, wow, we've got we've to give this a try. And so we played it, and I played a magic user, and I, I just had read Lord of the Rings for the first time. And I thought to myself, man, I'm going to be a magic user. I'm going to be like Gandalf. This will be awesome. And I didn't fathom the fact that I only had one spell per day. So room two, when I saw that carrying crawler, I was I was toast. But I did find the, the game hooked me forever. I, uh, you know, just the whole concept of the whole thing taking place in your mind uh, the theater of the mind, the whole, uh, the idea that there was really no limits. This was a, this wasn't a box of a game. This was, the, this was unlimited. You could take it anywhere you wanted to. And right away, I saw the potential for it. He's been as a, a young man, and uh, it, I knew it was something that would be a big part of my life for the rest of my life. Um, ever since then, you asked me what I'm doing right now. I gamed ever since then. Uh, a couple years ago, I was inspired when I went to GaryCon. I uh, I wanted to DM a couple games, and I thought to myself, I'm one of those kind of people that I'm always reaching for the next thing. So I thought to myself, um, I'm going to run a game. I'm going to run it. My favorite villain in Greyhawk all time is Mark Gassa. Yeah, he was telling me from, that. From, yeah. yeah, from uh, uh, Secret of Slaver Stockade. Yep. And uh, I decided that I would make it about Mark Gassa. So I'm writing it, and I was like, you know what? These notes just aren't doing it for me. So I'm reaching for the next thing. Why don't I just break it down like a module? Okay, cool. The next thing I know, I've got a cover. I've got maps. And I looked at my wife. I was like, you know, actually, I kind of like this. And she's like, why don't you do it full on? And I thought to myself, the whole time as a kid, you know, I, I wanted to be a writer growing up always. Um, but I just wanted to do like comic books or something because I thought that that was something I could do. When I looked at people like Gygax and Jim Ward and people like that, these were my idols. There was no way I could ever do what they were doing. Um, but then older, I was like, you know what? I've been training for this my whole life, essentially. Let's do this. So I ended up uh, – the next time I came to GaryCon, I had uh, three full-on modules. Um, well, backtracking a little bit, that one Gary Con, I came with a, three published modules. I gave one to my most outstanding player of the game that game. Um, I gave one, I kept one for myself, and the other one, uh, somebody bought on the spot. They wanted it, and I was like, wow, I can't believe that somebody wanted to buy this. All right, cool. Um, and then I had somebody message me from out of the ether, uh, a good friend of mine now, you may know him uh, through. Uh, one E circles, his name's Andy Markham. He's a great guy out of, uh, out of New York. And he was like, Hey, I want everything you've ever done. And I was like, why is that? He goes, cause I heard you're good and I want to support Greyhawk. Yeah. 
And I was like, I mean, those are, that's like power word stunned me <laughs> right away. I was like blown away. Okay, great. So the next, now here we are. Um, I've got 13 published modules. I'm currently in the works on six more. I've got a successful Patreon going on. Um, th- things are going really well for us. Uh, we're growing all the time, expanding. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much what I'm doing right now. This year I'm going to be doing GaryCon. Um, I'm doing uh, Gen Con, and I'm also doing uh, GameHole Con. Okay. All of them have published modules ready to go for them. Ah, that's awesome. Make sure, uh, you know, after, give me that your information, so I'll put it in the show notes and in the oh, podcast. Absolutely. That w- would be great because um, we love to support old school gaming and the fact that, um, you know, you mentioned Marquesa from, from A2 and, you know, she she definitely punched above her weight class, you know, because she was like a fifth level magic user or something like fighter magic or something like that. But she was such a badass. I mean, she was manipulating. The greatest thing about Marquesa is she is Greyhawk's Dr. Mangala. Yeah, yeah. There are very few characters that are truly as unrepentantly just twisted straight up evil as Marquesa. I know you could go on about Igualiv or Ayus or people like that, but you know what? They're at a different level. Marquesa to the common folk is this horrific name that nobody even whispers within the whole Wild Coast area. Yeah, She's the last of the slavers you want to see. Right, absolutely. Yeah, the rest of them, they're kind of shadows, but this one, you, to yeah. your point, they... She's the last one. And that whole uh, fort of sorrow and misery and the new creatures that came out of it because of the, you know, the mm-hmm. inhumanity that's there. So that's a great... Uh, you know, taking that character and really fleshing it out because... Um, yeah, and every one of my Marquesa modules, there have been different and new abominations that she's created. In oh, fact, okay. the, the most recent one that I did was Marquesa, Thy Name is Evil, uh, was... Uh, that is actually one of her R&D laboratories okay. is where the players are researching. And some of the stuff they get to see in there give... you know. I, I'm writing this, and I'm like, boy, this is—is is this too over the top? Well, I got to remember who I'm writing for. So no, I guess not. <laughs> Very good. Are, are they so you you're using them at the conventions? Are they tournament? Are they tournament modules, or are they just meant to be used at a convention? If you've ever read um, modules like uh, Ghost Tower of Inverness or uh, Hidden Shrine of Tamachan, you've got uh, Tamachan. Excuse me. You. You'll notice that there is a way to play them for convention play and for campaign play. I try and do the same thing in my modules okay. where I, I explain the, how they're best used within a tournament uh, uh, context and also with a convention context. For example, in tournament games, when you're running a tournament game, there's no such thing as a wandering monster table. And the reason being is because there could be three or four different groups running it. And if one of them is unlucky enough to roll a 12 on that 12-sided dice and they get, I don't know, a roper in there that takes out half the party, what well, kind of skews the odds of the yeah. whole thing. So you want to, in the tournament context of it, you want to be a little bit more, uh, you want to give a more even experience. So, but that being said, if you were to look at my modules, you'd, you'd read, if this is being played in a context of a campaign, this is what you've got. So um, before we keep going, let's make sure we go through our uh, new. Ah, there she is. There it is. That's there right. Is. And, and what alleged? So she's uh, Dan. What are you showing? I am showing the module Marquesa. Thy name is evil at A seven uh, by Carlos. It's the uh, I, I went through this one at the last GaryCon. Oh, cool. And I was reading through it, and uh, we were talking about this before we came on air. Uh, Carlos, the, the writing is fantastic. It, it's a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. 
It's a pleasure to read. So, you know, what I'm looking for when I read a module is I want it to be clear, uh, be able to understand what's in the room, not have a lot of gaps, and it has, and it has all that. What you don't expect is it to be really well written in a creative uh, way, and, mm. and, and this is, and, and I was joking too, uh, make sure you have a dictionary because Car Carlos is going to throw some words out there awesome. that you might have to look up. So, yeah, but no, it, it was a pleasure. I am, read. I am one of the I am one of the sons that Gary Gygax never knew he had, just <laughs> like you two are. And, I mean, we he he literally spawned thousands of children that he never knew he had in yeah. our generation. And uh, I was inspired. You know, I would read words like I remember in uh, WG six, which is uh, Isle of the Ape. Tensor has this rambling speech for about a page and a half of preamble of that module and he drops gigaw in it hmm. and i i was like wow i thought i'd seen them all from gary and i just i every module had something in it that i would run for the dictionary in and i think that helped me as a young man i mean it helped me uh you know uh for, found a love of words and language and I, yeah I, I most a lot of my life has been shaped by that well and so i, I, try, right. I try and pay homage to that a little bit in what i write well, and that's and that's very that makes a lot of sense because I know for me personally, um, I wasn't much of a reader except for the Dungeon Master's Guide, Player's Handbook, those type of the modules that I was you know would read them multiple times. So mm -hmm. um, I agree with you there. So let's um, so Dan uh, after last week when we had Vic on, we've come up with a number of new uh, uh, new segments that we want to introduce uh, ahead of time and uh, get some input. You know, we set up a Patreon. One of our listeners uh, said, uh, hey, we've got, uh, do you have a Patreon? We said, fine, we do it, and we did it, and uh, we have different fine. tiers. Fine, we'll take your money. That's right. Well, you know, again, we do this. We do if this because it's fun. Uh, we do it because it's a lot of fun. We enjoy speaking to folks like Carlos who are passionate about this, who are, who are working to keep the hobby to its the form that we're very comfortable with. So um, just real quick, we've got a bunch of tiers. Uh, we obviously have the uh, copper, silver, electrum, you know, gold, platinum, and um, so our first dear listener did a silver, which means, like I said, he gets the uh, the song and he gets uh, two segments. So we're gonna we have a couple of segments that planned for today. We're gonna do random encounters where we're going to uh, Dan is gonna roll up a, mod, a monster and then we're gonna talk about it because uh, in a couple of sessions ago we. We learned about the homunculus and, and how mending needs to be used for it. I'm like, oh, I never read that. That's amazing. So hopefully Carlos, with his deep insight, uh, hopefully we won't get like giant rat or something, but we'll get something very interesting. Uh, we'll you do know, that. When you, design, when you design modules, you end up coming through those books at a level that you never even did as a player or a DM. Mm -hmm. And uh, I constantly find myself reading something going, how did I miss that all this time? Ah. So I can't wait for this segment. It'll be great. It'll be just, just as good for me as it is for you. And then we're also going to have an in memoriam uh, segment where we hope Jeannie is going to call in, right? Is she still scheduled to she call in? She is scheduled to call in okay. at uh, 9.45 uh, our time. Okay, great. So uh, I've got yeah, to make so, sure my phone so is So this on. is a segment where people can uh, send in their characters and uh, who have passed. And uh, we'll do a uh, in memoriam segment for yeah. them. So, so and, and you know, for our patrons who do that, they can either call in or just send us the information. And um, we've set up a page on our site where we will post these dearly departed, and they can tell us how unfortunately they died. Um, and also, you know, remind us of how 
you know, that's what makes first edition what it is, is that character death is, is expected and smart play is rewarded, but sometimes bad things happen. But that's what makes it epic when, when you do get, you do survive that thing. So, uh, well, and what I think is interesting is, Carlos, I think your story about how you first got into D&D, where you had your magic user who dies, killed by the carrying crawler, I think you said, in what, like room three or something like that. Right. And, and, and it's very typical that, that your character dies very quickly and you say, I want more. So right. this, this, yeah. that's 1E, right? I mean, I especially know you're- for, Especially for me. Um, before we got on, I think I mentioned to you guys, I was a competitive hockey player as a young man. I played collegiately, in fact, and um, I'm a competitive guy. So when my character got killed, I was like, no way. I, I need another <laughs> crack at this. Yeah. <laughs> so, and my yeah. understanding is even though you grew up in Chicago, you're, you're a big Bruins fan. Is that right? <laughs> no, I, I'm wrong? absolutely not a big Bruins I, I don't know fan. where I got that info As a matter from. of fact, this is my time to come clean on this. <laughs> Mike Bridges, if you're out there, Jason King, if you guys are out there, I'm sorry. I was rooting for a natural disaster <laughs> to destroy both teams and wipe them both off the map. Those are like two out of the three of my most loathed franchises in the NHL. Wow. Number one being Detroit. Wow. Okay. So well, we, see, we have things in common. Yeah. Well, as a Lightning fan who was supposed to win it all, then they exit out early, and then I became. Then I was an. You know, I came from New York, and I was an Islander fan. Everyone was a Ranger fan there, so I was. I was done pretty early, unfortunately. You yeah. Know, uh, we were done. Uh, you could talk about something you couldn't see coming. <laughs> so I. I gave up on that. Uh, the last month, I. I didn't even know hockey was keep going on. So that was. That was great. <laughs> I, I. I wish I had known it was going on. That's right. Well, as a Bruins fan. So, all right, is it time for a random encounter? Yes, it's time for random encounters. Okay, so what I'm going to do, so I'm going to roll a random encounter here. Where, since uh, Carlos is our guest, we're going to be using the Monster Manual 2 random encounter. because I'm a big fan. Right. Nice. So, so uh, Carlos is a big fan. Also, the Fiend Foley, which I'm sure we can get around to talking about. So we're going to use that. Uh, and, and I know, Carlos, I know you like using these because... I'll, you love players like me because I don't know the Monster Manual 2. I don't I know sure the thing, do. right? And so when I come across this monster, I have absolutely no idea what it is. Well, the thing is, you have to remember, most of these books were written almost 40 years ago, yeah. okay? There's been a lot of time for you guys, for players like us that play in 1E, to master all the materials. And yet there is a huge subculture there's a huge cross-section of our hobby that is like you dan and they're all about your core three so whenever i bust out the fiend folio on players it takes them totally off guard they don't know quite you know you've got players out there that can recite all the weaknesses of a devil and a demon and all the differences right off the top of their heads yeah right everybody knows so example People will know if they need a magical weapon to hit. They'll be racing right. for a magical weapon. But if I tell you that you're going to fight a magnesium spirit, what's the first thing you think of? Uh, um, milk? Exactly. Milk? Fiend folio right yeah. there. Milk, milk of magnesia? Milk of magnesium? Yeah. I know. See, we're it's already we're in trouble. Really, it's yeah. actually a really deadly monster from Fiend folio. Yeah. <laughs> See, I was very disappointed. I, I ran an adventure from White Dwarf called The Halls of Tis and Thane, and, and the carbuncle was introduced in The Halls mm. of Tis and Thane. And the characters open the door, and I describe it, and I believe James, you're like, oh, we, basically, we need to shut that door. Right. You knew this was bad news. Yeah. Shut, which it, was, shut it down. Which is unfortunate. Unless, unless you cast Charm Monster and convince it to give up its gem and go away. Oh. Right. 
Which would be which would be wonderful, but I think we were second level. Yeah, very yeah. low level. Yeah, we, that's just about the only thing you can do according to the Fiend Folio for yeah. a carbon. What a so shame! A I, lot I, of fun. I, I knew it was sad missed. badness, and and so which is great. Oh, you put that by the way right in my wheelhouse. I just studied the carbuncle about maybe two weeks ago. Oh wow, okay. carbuncle so studies. You, you put that right in my wheelhouse. Yes. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. So what we have is we are going to have an outdoor random encounter. It's going to be outdoor is what okay. I've rolled. And hang on, I've got like four different regions. You know, there's so many charts. You know, Carlos is... could roll for us, and this way you could focus on the chart rolling. Carlos, what, what does he need to roll? Okay, roll a D4 to define the region. So I randomly rolled, and we're in the outdoor. D4 uh, is a one. One. Okay, we are, oh, we are in a cold wilderness area. Okay. So now, I, now I need a die six. So this is, this is classic 1E, e, isn't it? That's right. Two hours later. That's, that's a one again. Oh, we are in the mountains in a cold wilderness area. We now need a... Are you sure you're not talking about the module I wrote? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So we now... Now, I'm a little confused because it goes from 2 to 20. Why is it so not it's 1 a, to it's 20? So it's a D8 and a D12. 2D10. Well, I think on this one they wanted to skew it, but yeah, you... Oh, 2D10, so that way the 10 and 11s yeah, D... are more common. Very right. close. See, yeah. I, this is how little I know. Yeah, see um, total is a 15 on 15, that. 15, there you go. Okay, the first monster in the random encounter segment is a hill giant. A hill giant, oh, that's, nice. that's classic. Have yeah, you, it's very classic. Have you, so after all that talk about the feed folio and the monster no, manual no, too. We can, this, is a, this is in my wheelhouse too because as, a, as an old school Greyhawk guy, the most famous hill giant in history, King no, or Nosra, yeah, Nosra, the chieftain from, uh, from G1. This is meant to be. So the hill, have you ever, Picard, do you have a hill giant in any of your published adventures? I do not in any of my published adventures. However, uh, one of Marquesa's lieutenants has a belt of hill giant strength. Does that count? <laughs> Close enough. Close enough. Can we, do, can we yeah. do some quick trivia? I want to see how well you guys know the hill giant. Well, okay. uh, I would, uh, you know, we were just running because uh, when I started oh. up DMing again, um, after Dan abandoned his group and I had to take it over, I'm sure he told you about that. The uh, <laughs> and we went from four players, three and a half players, to eleven now. So uh, actually, Dan switched to another group. Ed stopped uh, playing and, and I took over. I decided, you know, I'm sure like a lot of people, we've read the modules. We may have not played them when we were younger because life happens. So I'm like, you know what? Uh, I want to run these old school modules. So we're going, we, we did some of the Slaver series. I tended to do all of them, but those players being that they are, they got captured in A1 and I'm like, well, oh, boy. let's, we'll send them to go to A3. And then anyway, it kind of all fell apart. So we, we went to the G series. And uh, so we played the, uh, you know, we played the Hill Giants and uh, yeah, Norsera and his, and the Queen and the um, Cave Bears and, from- and uh, he's got the threat. Was it throat slasher with the name of the uh, the name of the uh, his pet bear, and the hall where they've got you know this, it's uh, this feast hall that they had in there. So uh, what do you want to know? There, I think they're eight plus three hit okay. dice. Well, I'll, ask, I'll ask the questions. Buddy. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. He's going to ask the questions. This is interesting. I apologize, this... Carlos. We shut up oh, and he talks. Okay. Yeah, he's he's in charge now. <laughs> this Go is ahead. My segment. This is your segment. Sorry. <laughs> so, so this is interesting to me. Do you know what their frequency is? They're uh, rare, actually. Are they not? Uh, I would say 
not as what's I would say uncommon is yeah uncommon down. uncommon. Okay, you ready for this? Common. Common. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So I wouldn't they, have expected that. So basically, they're hill giants all over the place. Yeah. So so they're like orcs. Apparently, they're everywhere. Oof. Uh, Oof. All right. What's the alignment? That was easy. I would not have gotten any of these. I mean, I, this is why I'm asking the question. It's chaotic I'm evil. None of these. Chaotic evil. That is chaotic evil. And what I like too is. So, you know, they have low intelligence, and I was at a Gary Khan game with a, where there was a hill giant, and the DM did a really good job of playing the, the monster with a low intelligence. You know, talk very slow, and, and so I really like to pay attention to the intelligence of the monsters and reflect right. that, right? If, if you want a good example of playing against type as well, there is a hill giant um, nemesis in WG4, which is um, uh, Forgotten Temple of Therisden. Mm-hmm. And he is in charge of the temple, uh, and he actually coordinates the uh, the temple defenses in a pretty good fashion. He's actually pretty smart for a hill giant. So how do you play? I mean, going back into your style, because, again, the first thing I heard about you, Carlos, from Dan was, again, how he really appreciated your DMing style and it really inv- had him wanting to play, not only wanting to play, but also DM. Um, so let's start with some of the approaches that you take, and we'll start with uh, running NPCs. You know, you have the hill giant okay. with low intelligence. So what's your philosophy with that? Uh, what do you think you do that maybe uh, our listeners or people watching the show could take away from that? Well, the first thing you have to remember is, um, for me anyway, when I'm running a, a character, a, a villain like a hill giant, you have to, first of all, create context around that character. Number one, is he in charge of something like in, for example, Thrizden? Is he appropriate for a low level threat, which means he's the big bad guy? Or is it a higher level game in which they're more common? In the first case where it's the single bad guy, it's almost better to play him against type in a sense, because that way um, you're you're dealing with kind of a layered, a tiered kind of thing. Okay. Um, one other thing I like to, I like to remember though, is also player characters there. If you look in the dungeon master's guide languages, there's different language for every one of the giants. All right. So his ability to communicate with them may not be good because he's a low intelligence, even if you play him against type. Um, so there's a lot of things that go into it as far as role-playing that character goes, but as far as dealing with threats, remember, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. Mm-hmm. So he goes brute force in all respects. If he's got shaman under his uh, control, they are going to be using uh, offensive spells. They're not going to be buffing. They're going to be uh, uh, everything is going to be direct. OK, you know, and, and I'll say so speaking of the feed folio and Monster Man 2, one of the things I do like is I do like more giants. So I did mm-hmm. like. Right. So wasn't it the feed folio has yep. like the, a giant troll, like two headed troll. Yep. And, Spectral it, troll. Mm-hmm. and is there a, is there a uh, uh, giant mountain giant? Yes. So so mm-hmm. I actually I like more giants for some reason. So. Well, don't forget DMG had Fomarian giants as that's and that's become a staple of the game. What so. is that? I'm not familiar with that. Ah, take a look. They're the ones that look like they're uh, made out of can- uh, candle wax that's been melted. Oh, okay. It's in the DMG, you say? Yeah, no, I, I'm sorry. I meant oh. in Monster Manual 2. Mo- they, Monster were originally Manual 2. Re- they were originally released in S4, uh, Lost Caverns of Sokath. Okay, okay. 
So, um, and, and as far as, you know, because you, you started writing modules pretty recently, the last couple of years, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. but you played the whole time. Dan and I took a pretty long sabbatical. Um, right. So did you continue playing just first edition or did you go through the editions or what's your experience with that? Um, what I did was I looked at, I, I have everything from third edition and I looked at it kind of almost in a clinical sense. Um, as a writer, my, as a writer, one of the things you learn to do is you do a lot of style analysis. You look at writers that you admire, you take apart their style and figure out what they do well, what they do poorly. So I looked at the three E stuff and, uh, I wanted to take it apart and kind of figure out how it worked and see what kind of things I thought it did well and what it did poorly. Um, and also when you're, trying to find a game being conversant in the newest edition is it's very important. So before I was writing modules, you know, I'm looking to play, I'm looking to DM and the kids, if the kids want to play three, E, all right, we'll play some three. E. Okay. Did you play second edition or did you stay in first edition the whole time? Uh, I was very against second edition. Actually. Um, when second edition came out, I was, um, I was kind of a diehard up against first. I was like, this is not at all. And I didn't even get to remember, we didn't have an internet or anything like that. So I wasn't really aware truly that Gary had been ousted from TSR, yeah. but I did notice a huge sea change in the books and I didn't like it. I didn't like forgotten realms at all. I didn't like the way that things were trending. So I kind of stayed towards first edition. Yeah. Did you play, uh, you know, we kind of sometimes took side things off to Paranoia or Top Secret or Star Frontiers, or did, <laughs> you, did you pretty much focus on D&D, or did you no, try? No, not at all, actually, not at all. When I was in the military, um, our game of choice actually was Marvel Superheroes okay. from TSR. Yeah. We loved that, and I played a lot of Top Secret. In fact, I had a Top Secret module that uh, I ran that I wrote. Okay. Um, which is you can get through Castle Entertainment, uh, and I ran that at last year's uh, GaryCon as one of my modules. Very, very well received. First edition, top secret though. Yeah, we have a player who plays it, and we're trying to convince him. Uh, he he was an administrator back in the day. Nick, yeah, we need to get him to because pl- top secret, huh? He's he's. I think he's agreed. Yeah, that's awesome because uh, that's the other day. I you know all those. You know, when we when I was growing up, we didn't have the whole universe of games. We didn't. I, I mean, I had Pendragon. I had okay. some. I, I knew of RuneQuest. I we played a little Merp, uh, but it really was D and D, and then some paranoia because you know instead of killing ourselves in the actual modules and frustrating the DM because like you know one guy decides he's going to fireball the party because he's angry. Right. We said let's just play paranoia. That's perfect for that and be silly. Uh, but we didn't have the the wide swath of games that were out there, we just, like you said, we're very cloistered in our understanding because there wasn't an internet. Whatever the game store had, that's what we had as far as our universe. Sure. So I appreciate I, that. I have a huge background with uh, comic books, actually. Okay. And, uh, uh, so as a result, I fa- I saw it out, Marvel, when I heard it was out. You know, I'd see it in the back of a comic book. I saw TSR. That's all I needed to know. So I got that was a, a big one for me. But Top Secret is those are probably the three games I've played most. I've dabbled a little bit with Star Frontiers here and there as well. Um, but D and D has always been my first love as far as role playing games go. Okay, but, excellent, Carlos. Can I ask you about your first adventure? You talked about the Holmes basic set, right? And your magic yeah. user dies immediately. The Kiri Crawler. Uh, right. Do you, and I know that you said on other podcasts that you recall it being, you know, the, the adventure that came with the box. 
So do you, do you remember, is, is, was that either maybe B1, do you remember, or was it the Tower of Xenopus, which was the sample model? It was, it was the Tower of Xenopus. Oh, that's fantastic. I recently ran, the reason I asked you, I was hoping that would be the answer, is I recently ran the Tower of Xenopus for, uh, yeah. for my party. And so, and I think it's a great little adventure. And, and, and one of the things I like about it is it's short. I wouldn't know. I didn't get past the second room. <laughs> that's <right>. Oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> that, that, it was very short for you. So. That's right. Yeah. So, and that's one of the things I like about, you know, looking through the Marquesa adventure, you know, Thy, Thy Name is Evil adventure, is that since you are running these at conventions, they, they can be completed, it seems to me, in an evening, which I think for a lot of us now, we're looking for that because, you know, it's not like when we were in junior high where we could meet every day after school. We meet once every two weeks for several hours, and it's hard to have a, an adventure that has over 100 rooms. Right. I try my best to make things a little bit more self-contained than that. Um, like you said, what I've discovered is the 1E crowd, we're a very DIY crowd. You know, we, uh, we like to create our own things. We like to... Um, uh, I probably wouldn't – my modules probably wouldn't do as well as they did had it not been for the fact that I've tied them to the world of Greyhawk. And there's a huge nostalgia factor for that because we're so DIY. So what I've done is I try to make them so that you can put them wherever you want to in your campaign world um, because sometimes you just don't have time as a DM. Sometimes you – or for one other reason, maybe you just like some ideas and you want to steal them. That's fine with me. I mean that's that's sort of what I'm aiming for. Excellent. Um, now, I, mean, I haven't looked at this before, A7, but that looks – I mean it looks legit. So <laughs> be, as far as you know, the artwork you put on and uh, the information, so this well, is – Well, thank a, you very much. So the, uh, can I'd you, like to give a shout out to the cover artist for that. Okay. The cover artist's name is Daniel. You. Name is Daniel Govar. He's awesome. He's a good friend of mine, and he's great to work with. And I'd also like to give a shout out to Mike Lowe, who is the one who designed the look for Marquesa. If you look at the um, the re, the republished Wizards of the Coast against the Slave Lords, mm -hmm. he's the one that did the artwork that informed the design for Marquesa visually. Oh, wonderful. Mm -hmm. So oh, this. So again, you, like you said, we have a bunch of folks that are DIY people, and, and I was inspired to talk to Dan about starting a podcast because I was listening to other people's podcasts. And um, So what advice would you give? What's the process of creating a published module then versus you know, doing something for your local group where you know, you, you, you've got a couple of weeks to prepare here, you're publishing it? What are the high-level steps and what are the things you would say now looking back you would try to avoid uh, going forward? Well, one of the first things I try and do is that Jim Ward gives great advice for anyone who's trying to create a module or an adventure. And he says you always want to start with your wandering monster table hmm. because the wandering monster table kind of informs what is going on as far as what's moving around, all your moving parts inside of there. It gives you a good idea of what is inside the, the dungeon. It's great advice, but I don't necessarily always take it. Um, I think that it's important to do that, but I think equally as important is I like the environment first. I, I go about doing the map, actually, before I do anything. I'll do a map design, and then I'll decide what my wandering monster table is. Um, and then I come up with a theme. I, I, I have an idea of what I want to accomplish with the module. I mean, it's not unlike writing a novel in a sense, and what you want to do is you want to have an outline of 
this is what is going on in here. The only difference is when you're dealing with a novel, it's static. When you're dealing with a dungeon environment, you know, you want your players through role playing, through pure luck, through decisions they make. You want that to be what is the the hinge on the on the dungeon. So you don't you want to give it a lot of paths, a lot of forks at which you could go in different directions. Um, this, so for me, it's map first. Uh, well, nebulous concept map, uh, watery monster table, hard concept. And uh, then I like to do the uh, the pre-generated characters because it's important to be able to scale what's inside of the dungeon against what's going to be operating inside the dungeon environment. If you have if you create this great module, you say, hey, I've got this great idea for this haunted tower and it's going to be for characters four through seventh level. And the next thing you know, you've got Umber Hulks and Ropers running around in there. Uh, you've kind of you've already kind of failed at, at your goal. So having the, the pre-generated characters there, what they're capable of, because for example, let's say I give a, a pre-generated character, I don't know, oil of, of oil of etherealness. Mm -hmm. And I have all kinds of these walls in there that separate the character, the, the big bad guy from the front of the module. Well, that's not really going to work. Is it? Because all they have to do is imbibe that and go right through. And then, you know, they're at encounter 40, so much for that. So you want to have an idea of what their capabilities are, engage those against what you're going to do. Carlos, what kind of things do you get out of the play test? So I know you play test your modules at conventions like GaryCon. Uh, what kind of things have you discovered that needed changing when you play tested them? A lot of times players will uh, will surprise you with innovativeness. Like, for example, I just mentioned the oil of etherealness angle. Uh, let's say you're in a, uh, a wintertime adventure and you mistakenly give a character a, uh, a flame tongue or something like that. And they use it in a way that you don't expect them to use it. All of a sudden you have to recalibrate that encounter or – and I'm not necessarily saying that you change it either. Sometimes you salute the player's ingenuity and you say, hey, guess what? If you manage to think of that in the game, that's off to you. Right. But no, what you want to do is you want to make the easy, obvious out that you forgot about. You want to do that. And you also tighten up little things like as I go down uh, through gameplay – uh, I'm studying armor classes, and maybe I made a, a miscalculation, or maybe I've made a spelling error, or something like that. I'll notice that then too. Uh, yeah, and the players will be sure to point that out. Uh, there's a, uh, it's like students who, when you know, you, you you mark an answer incorrect, they'll be sure, and it was right. right. They'll be sure to let you know. They still failed the test. The only, that's the only question. That's Your character's still dead, but right. yeah, that is true. You shouldn't right. have been an AC ten. You should right. have been an AC two. But that's you're my still bad. dead because you're a terrible player. But you're still yeah. dead. So, right. right. But, well, um, also, I, I also I like to uh, the real the main thing is I like to see all the players faces at the end of the game. I look I take I've, I'm very careful. I'll pause like I'm about ready to say something at the end of the game and I'll look across everybody's face. Right then and there, I know what they thought of the module. Well, I, I remember at the Gary Khan game I went through with you this last time. You had scheduled it to 1 a.m. And I think, and we finished it early. We finished it about midnight. And yeah. I think we are 1130 or something like that. And I think 
all of us at the table were disappointed. <laughs> we yeah. wanted to go to what we were happy to go to what AM, mm. and uh, that was a I, and I, would, to... I was I was more than happy to do it as well. Actually, I was ready to go. Yeah. But uh, you know, at the same time, every story has its beginning, middle, and end, and you and you kind of have to want to be true to the to the script to some degree. I would have I would have hated to have ruined a great session by overstaying my welcome. No, yeah, no, it, it, it ended great. You should just end it. You know, you should bring adventure cards with you. Your adventure cards we'll talk about, right? You could pull out an adventure card. Right? Yeah, so what uh, is an adventure actually, card? Actually, my wife and I were discussing the fact that since I do multiple uh, modules, for example, I'm going to be doing three at Game Hole. I'll be doing four at GaryCon, all right? Uh, that's seven modules to write, all right? Yeah. Now, I have a reputation for be, for working pretty quickly, but that's a lot of work. That's a lot of writing to do, a lot of prep, a lot of publishing, a lot of expense. Um, my wife and I were discussing actually me running uh, adventure cards rather than full-fledged modules. And I thought about it for a little while, and I was like, I don't know that I can go back now. I've kind of cultivated a little bit of a reputation for myself about what you can expect from one of my modules. I've got people showing up now to my games, and hey, I heard that and I got to bring the goods now, don't I? Yeah. So, <laughs> so what is it? I mean, you sent us one. So thank you very much. And for our listeners and subscribers, um, we're going to give that away. We're going to figure out probably next week uh, how to give that away. But uh, Carlos was gracious enough to send an adventure card. So what, what differentiates an adventure? What is it? And what differentiates it from a module? And, and how do you use it? Uh, you well, kind remember of how it. we talked about second edition and how I really didn't jump over because I didn't like it? Uh -huh. Well, that's not entirely true because there are a few things that I did quite like about it. Like, for example, specialty priests made a whole lot of sense to me. Um, the way that they decided to do specialty mages, I like that a lot. But one of the big things that I that really I, I did like is um, you'll notice in this box set right here, this is Greyhawk Adventures from the Ashes right mm. over here. And in the back of From the Ashes, do a little unboxing for your people here. Nice. You'll notice these cardboard cards in here. And what they are. Are they're called adventure cards? Okay. Carl Sargent came up with the idea, and what they are are they're one-shot modules. Here's a, an example of one of them right here. It's got a very short. If you look at it, you'll even notice a very similar format to right. mine. Yeah, yeah. It's a two-page thing at best, and uh, it, it's a one-night, one like maybe two or three encounter uh, adventure uh, that you can drop in anywhere you want to. And I was hearing the voice of my my. Uh, customers and my fans and people like that. And I was like, you know what? This is something that they want. They want short things. You even said it yourself about, yeah. you know, how much you, how much value that brings. So I decided that for my Patreon, one of the things I was going to offer, because people really like my adventures, but obviously I can't publish a module a week or a module a month. Right. Um, is even though I do one every two months, uh, I do an adventure card every month. And they're either with a theme or they're with, you know, my my patrons tell me what they're interested in. Um, the one that you're holding right now is an exclusive one for you guys that I wrote. Um, you'll notice the kids names in the mod in the adventure card might seem familiar to you okay. both. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> no spoilers. But yeah. That, um, so it's that, uh, you know, it's that niche of a one, you know, the one page adventure, one shot. Uh, but with your flair on it, with your flavor right. on it, so that's awesome. And also, and also, the the truth is, I, I mentioned how much I admired Gary for being concise 
I'm terribly not concise <laughs> at all. Okay, uh, every single adventure card I think I've ever written is five pages or more yeah. because because I start thinking to myself, if an idea is cool, it's worth pursuing. So I'm like, man, I want to flesh it out just a little bit more. The next thing I know, I look down at my map. I'm like, there's seven encounters here. Yeah. And but, I just don't want to make them all crunch, you know, all statistics. So right. I decided that, you know, hey, you know, well, I guess this is going to be seven pages. Well, and, and part of that, too, is, you know, they have the book of layers that came out and, the, and then they came mm -hmm. out later. It's that idea. Pressures of, of Greyhawk. Yep. Uh, it's the idea of you're DMing. You, you roll the random encounter, there's something, there's a cave or, you know, the troll, why is there a troll in the middle of the forest? Well, he's in a cave. And then now like, what does that mean? Having these things where you can segue where the journey means something, because I know in later editions, some of that journey element from going from town to dungeon or from dungeon to dungeon is kind of hand-waved. Whereas we're more of the, no, you've got to traverse over there to pick that up. This, these are great Absolutely. opportunities. And in fact, that is one of the main gripes I have about later editions. First of all, let me go off, and, and I say this just about at every interview I've ever done, and it's true. And I say that because it's true. I actually like every edition that Dungeons & Dragons has ever released because, to me, they're like tools in a toolkit. Each one of them does something well, and they all fit a certain experience. Right. If you need a saw, you don't pick your hammer out, okay? If you want an old-school, uh, you know, deadly-as-hell game, you're not going to pull out third edition. You're going to go first. But by the same time, if you want, you know, something where it's statistic-driven, skill-driven, maybe you do pull out three. You know, so you have to that's, – that's one of my big gripes is – but the other one is that Level dependent encounters and treasure bug the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. If you remember, for example, the very first dungeon that I ran in, I was a first level character that ran into a four hit dice carry on crawler. Okay. That would never happen in a million years in a third edition game. Right. Never. It couldn't happen. It's, it's literally against the rules of that game to, for it to happen. But yet that was the whole hook that got me loving this hobby. So if I was born, 10 years ago, or, you know, 15 years ago, and I was into third edition with my first experience, maybe it wouldn't have worked. Right. You would have felt it was, there was some confinement or some, you know, safe bumper thing. And, and like exactly. we talked about, no, well, I love the fact that you had to be smart or else, you know, you had to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Right. You know, you see something that you bite off more than you can chew. You run. I don't know parties that flee in third edition. Now, now, let me ask you this. So back in the day, when you didn't know all of the monsters in the monster manual and you encounter something, so would it be difficult to know when to run? And some of this may have been the excitement of it, but so, you know. That was the thrill of it. Right. Now that we was, That was a huge part of it. Now we, I mean, some would be obvious. I think if you run into a hill giant, you could probably sense this thing is going to be pretty powerful. Yeah. But when you see some other things that are smaller, you may not realize it. And um, I guess it is what it is. That's why you oftentimes had a high mortality rate in 1E. Right. Um, I wanted to go back for a second to this issue of pre-gens, pre-generated characters and magic items, because I've struggled with this. So, Carlos, you talked about how you've got to be very careful when preparing pre-gened characters for, say, a tournament or for a, a game at a con to make sure that those 
magic items don't unbalance the adventure, make it too easy. Uh, that is, that's what I found the most challenging because I do one-offs now, which are very similar to convention games. So it's a one-off. I want to make sure that people enjoy it for the four, five, six hours they play. I don't want it to end in 30 minutes because they've driven perhaps to come to the game. Uh, but what I think is interesting is how it's different with a campaign. For if, if somebody has a magic item that would have allowed them to defeat the big bad very quickly, that's fun, right? Because they've you've that party's earned that magic item, so they've right. it's no big deal that they've you know we're gonna have another game, the campaign will continue, and so uh, I, and really I guess it's just more of a comment, which I think is that it, you know this approach to using magic items can be very different between a campaign where it's fantastic you've got this yeah. rope of climbing that wins the day and right. ends the adventure in two hours, whereas if you're at a convention and that happens. People aren't happy because they're spending four hours in the bazaar. Right? Yeah, you you have to be more careful in the convention environment for sure. But there's something else at play too. You ever read a Superman comic book? It's been a while. Been, been a while. Have you ever noticed how much kryptonite there is on Earth? Yes. Yeah, mm. like, Everybody whips out kryptonite all the time. Right. Imagine you're a player in a supers game in that situation. Yeah. What's the point of having superpowers? Right. You want to give the player characters a chance to use the stuff that they've fought so hard for and enjoy it. If somebody signs up for one of my games and it's from 7th and ninth level, we'll say, for uh, for the ex expected levels, they may be there for a few uh, for any number of reasons. But one of the reasons they might be there is because they like that level of play. OK, you better reflect it. I mean, you've got to you've got to give them an opportunity to use their abilities, use the uh, use all the traits that, you know, you get with all that. When you fight the 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 hill giant, you want that ranger there with that plus nine damage against that guy. You want the player to sit there and his eyes get big as saucers and say, I cannot wait for this guy. Right. I mean, that's what's great about the even the giant series is that you find yeah. giant slaying swords so that mm -hmm. you give it mm -hmm. to the ranger and they're doing stupid damage. You know, that's great. That's right. let let them let them do that. And the uh, so, and that but that's the balance of I think it's I think it's very fair. If you give them a weapon and then nerf it right away and go, oh, no, you can't use that. Yeah, you, you don't it, want to do that. And it's, yeah. it becomes if you do that in a convention environment within the span of two hours of play. It's very obvious to the player what you're trying to do, yeah. and uh, you're really going to um, you're going to really hurt their experience. Can can a halfling thief backstab a hill giant? I don't think. Yes, so. Yes, they can technically. They've got but they, Achilles. But they, they got to get up there. Do they, oh, they've they have Achilles. Achilles. Oh, yeah, so yeah. you allow? So Jay, it sounds like you you're not a fan of the. I using think, the I'm pretty sure I have in the past. I think the I think the rule is they have to have a back. So that's well. The, they have a so back. they have a back. They so have you, a back. So you They've would say yes. So you I'm would say. I'm not gonna let them backstab a gelatinous cube. Right. Yeah. But. Like an ooze or a pudding. They can't. Back. So technically, <laughs> yeah. they're. Well, it's hard to sneak up on a gelatinous cube. Isn't right. It? Well, that's true. You too. know, they surprise on like what is it like a one to four or something crazy some, like some, that. Some large amount. Yeah. I I think you know that's a question of um, you know, and I was gonna ask because I haven't played with Carlos. So when when you prepare for an event, you know, you have your adventure. You wrote it. So clearly, you know. Uh, what what what's about to happen because you've rode it yourself? Do you how do you when you sit down? First thing you do, you sit with your players. It's you're in a you're at a convention. Um, do you do a quick overview or you just uh, give out characters? How, and what do, why do you well, do it that way? The very first thing I do is I have what's called a character draft. 
Okay. My character draft goes like this. Everybody rolls percentage dice. Uh, and I have a list of all the pre-gen characters that are available. High person picks going and descending. So you may get the character you want, you may not. There's, but, an, ex there's an exception. I, wait, I know an exception to your rule. Yes, there is an exception to my rule. Dan, you want to go ahead? I believe it's if you have played that character before in a prior game, correct? That is correct. For example, all the Marquesa pre-gen characters are the same. However, if you play the thief, the halfling thief from the first game, I will actually adapt that character for the third game based on what you've done. Okay, cool. For example, I'll give you a good a good example for that. The halfling thief in the uh, in the Marquesa game happened to find the uh, a girdle of, of uh, hill giant strength that they started wearing as a bandolier since they were a halfling. Yeah. All right, fine. That ended up on the sheet in the third edition, if you look at it. That was uh, that was one way that... And what I'll do is, after a, I'll have an after-action thing that I do with my players. I'll email them or something, and I'll, I'll pose them three questions or so. And I'll say, hey, if you would have found that evil sword, would you have done one of three things? Would you have sold it to the church in order to fund a resurrection of the paladin that died. That actually happened in the second in the second game. Hmm. Would you uh, use it for yourself, or would you try and, and destroy it? And all three of them are going to reflect what happens in the next pre-gen character sheet. So in that sense, people that come back to my games, they're rewarded with a little bit more of a living experience. But um, you were asking about what I do in the beginning of games, and that is uh, the, the, the draft is first. And then I'll have everyone go around and they will introduce themselves and their character. Okay. Do you, do you, uh, do spellcasters get to pick their, obviously clerics can pick their spells, but magic users, leaders, do you tell them the spells are in their book or allow them to pick yeah, them? Yeah, I, I, do, I do tell them the spells that not only they're in their book, but they, they have memorized at the beginning of the game. And I do that for two reasons. Number one, I've been at convention games where that doesn't happen. Where the where the DM says this is your spell book, have fun, pick what you want, and that DM in particular also said, in fact, if you want to swap out something for something else, let me know. That process took out forty five minutes yeah. of a convention game. It killed a lot of the momentum of that game yeah. because also you've got you've got people around there like thieves and and rangers and. And fighters who had no horse in the race and they just were sitting there unoccupied. And I think that that's death for a game. You really don't, you want your players to be engaged at all times. You want them always feeling like they're in the middle of something, even if the action isn't happening directly to them. So that's one reason why I do it. And the second reason is it helps me, again, calibrate the, uh, the adventure to some degree. If I know your capabilities, I can calibrate the threat level a little bit better. And, and so kind of another best practice, or is this a best practice when you're running at a convention, you don't start with, you know, 30 minutes of exposition and quest gathering. They, they you know, like in the old school, you're in front of the secret door and you, you go and high point and you're going into the temple. Or do you? One of my favorite uh, con games that I've actually played in ever was Alan Groey's uh, Castle Greyhawk game. And Alan did this one to us. He goes, well, you guys have been plumbing through Castle Greyhawk now for the last three days. That was the exposition. Exposition. You're right here in this room. Go for it. And I mean, he cut out the middleman entirely. We were right there in the action. It was great. Mm -hmm. So yes, 
I feel like cutting out a lot of that exposition in a convention game is essential. It's not as essential when you're in a campaign game and you're all around the table and uh, it be, the role-playing aspect of the game is at its highest there. So that's to be expected. But in the con game, you want to get to the action right away. And I'll say one of the things that I like about your style, Carlos, is that you really challenge the players. You're, I never get the sense that you're going to give us a break. I mean, you know, you're, you're going to make, you're going to require us to be successful on our own. But in the same vein, I always get the sense that you're rooting for the players, that I really get the sense that you're just sort of an umpire there. And if the baddies are coming, well, it's because the baddies are coming. It's not because you want the baddies to come. They just happen to be coming. Mm -hmm. But you're rooting get, for the players. Yes, that is exactly my point of view. Um, my point of view actually is I'm the environment. I'm the world, basically. I am there to, re to present you a situation where you are and to show you how nature reacts to what you've done. That's it. That's the list. That's my job. Uh, there's a lot of DMs out there that get uh, that are almost antagonistic to their players. That's not my style at all. As a writer, I'm there to cheer on the heroes, too. If bad things happen to them, well, so be it. But, yeah, I'm there to cheer them on. I want them to succeed. I want them to, to have fun. I, I remember in, in the Marquesa, my name is Evil Game, that I was in, where things, as they often do, st started to get a bit out of control uh -huh. early on. <laughs> Al alarms being sounded, as often happens. And, you know, and, and I remember when we, you know, we're, if I recall correctly, we're frantically cleaning up bodies and shoving them in rooms. We're trying to clean up blood and stuff like oh, this. Oh, yeah. And I remember you saying to us at the end of all that, you went out of character for a second. You said, guys, that almost got ugly really quick. And it was, it was really like you again. It wasn't you controlling it. You were just describing what was naturally going to happen to our poor right. characters. So, Yeah, uh, about the Marquesa thing, one thing that I like to do when I'm doing a design for a module, especially if it's got a big bad guy that's intelligent, you better be ready for alarms. The way I design a module is I put myself in their shoes. And I say, if I had to defend this place, this dungeon, this environment... How would I handle that, given the resources I know that character has? But yeah, in that particular case, I was like, I saw everything that was happening. I knew where everybody was on the map. I was like, oh my gosh, you guys have maybe a round or two left before this gets really bad. Right. <laughs> and well, you managed to pull it out. But do you know what my favorite part of that module actually was when you guys ran that? One of our players at the table was Nick Villanueva, uh, and he, uh, he was playing with me for the first time. And he sat down and he was playing a paladin in the game. And the paladin had this big rivalry with Marquesa's lead henchman, who was uh, Tasman Elvarzi, a good school girl there with that name. But anyway, uh, she, uh, when she showed up, she was supposedly dead. But uh, Marquesa, being the, the brilliant surgeon that she is, she was almost like this undead, kind of half living, calf, whatever now. Uh, when she showed up, actually, and faced off with Nick's character, he turned around, his eyes got big as saucers, and I was like, yes, I have nailed this. Because what it, mean, it meant to me is he had assumed enough of the character, and the game was going well enough that he was like, oh, no. 
uh, he realized the rivalry. He realized that character that was there, and he knew how bad it was about to get. Yeah, yeah. And that's the best feeling, isn't it? When you know, when you've got backstory in an adventure, and then the players start getting involved in it and buy into it as well, and start because really, as DMs, don't we want to? help create a story along with the players. We don't want to drive yeah, it, right? It's a shared mythology. I mean, you're making these legends with your players, and it's part of why I root for them. You know, I want the story to be cool. You know, and whether or not it ends, it's cool because it's, you know, that everyone ends up dying in a cool way or whether or not they succeed, that's up to them. But, yeah, that's part of it is you want you want that whole shared, you know, you're in this consensual dream together. Right. And it's, it's amazing like that. But the thing of... The thing that I really appreciate about that is it's really hard to do in a convention setting when you've got three hours yeah. and you're not throwing exposition out at players. Man, you've got to be really um, – you've got to hit that on the head right at a convention just to get that whole feel. And um, a lot of it – that's why on the back of you guys' character sheets I sent you, you'll notice that there's a large background for the characters. Well, yeah. So let's I, let's talk about that I, real I, quick. I did that on purpose because I want – if. That's how you create that kind of thing. Can, can I, and, and before we switch that, can I mention one thing? Sure. Because, you know, you've mentioned Nick and, and how you, you enjoyed his play at, at the convention, but... If, if you're out who, there, Nick, you did great. He did great, but who, And he's also an Orlando boy like you guys. Well, South Florida, actually, with, with his South brother Florida? Danny, okay. South Florida. Uh, okay. Is, uh, is, but who was the most outstanding player? Uh, the most uh-huh. outstanding player of that, I believe, was Jason Windham. Um, Dan, to Dan, most outstanding player. Oh, Actually, you won the most outstanding player. Well, I didn't remember no, that. No, there's, no. A back, there's a backstory to this, which I think you'll remember once I bring it up. Hey, Carlos, okay. it was great seeing you. Thanks. We don't need to know anything more. You, 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 did, you finished this, this session great. We, we found out who the real <laughs> best player is. Because yeah. for months we've heard how he's the best player. This is forgery. And what's really amazing is you have amazing... Yeah, your hand... Handwriting. The handwriting Beautiful. that he forged of you is amazing. Yes. Oh, clearly, it's clearly not your handwriting because so he's not the best player. And, and I, I meant to thank you for it. I didn't at the time um, how much time you spent writing that inscription because you took a lot of time and you obviously wanted to make sure it looked really nice. And, and I appreciate that. It's beautiful. Uh, oh, thank you. And I should mention I'm, I'm, it's a bit of a joke, this most outstanding player, because if you may recall, you felt that we all had done a good job. And yes, you found it difficult to select a single most outstanding player. And one of the players at the table suggested that we roll for it. And you said, sounds good. We all agreed to it. And the That's player right. to my left rolls and rolls a double zero. And everyone is in amazement. I roll it. And that was Jason Wyndham. That's why I thought it was him. There you go. And I roll it and I roll a double zero. And so... It, it was just random that I got the most. I wasn't. I don't consider myself actually the most outstanding player there. Uh, it was random, and we both rolled a double zero. So that's. But that's you did a story. great. You did do a great job. So let me let me square the record here for for everybody there down there in Florida. Okay, Dan actually did do a great job. It's not a forgery. <laughs> Thank you. Forgery. Thank did, you. Uh, hold on. The, the podcast. I'm sorry. The stream is failing James, right now. I accept, I, I'm gonna, your, I accept uh, James's apology. Hold on. It's uh, there, there's you a know storm what? here. I think there's a fire. Yeah. A couple doors Something down. There's happened. fire trucks. We may have to go to our car. Uh, you're breaking up, Carlos. We you may have to call back. <laughs> James, so. I accept your apology. I, I, 
Thank you. It sounds to me that our our guest is being very gracious to you, but I appreciate that. That's why I think you like him. That's wonderful. <laughs> James has played with me. He found he's incredulous that I came back with that. No, that's wonderful. <laughs> if you've listened, if you've listened to the adventures of Pixie and uh, Glade, Pixie Glade, yeah, it would be startling. Uh, that well, maybe in a group session, maybe in a group player. setting, you do better. I think you do better with others. You're more There's of a, too many players. Yeah, it was too Pixie and Glade, or the, these are characters that we rolled off to do some mock uh, combat here. And, you know, it's two characters. They're both multi-class. It's a lot to juggle, isn't it, Carlos? That would be a challenge for any player, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah. I, I, when you're dealing with multi-class players, uh, you know, you've got... There's a lot of uh, variables that you have to, to, to juggle yourself. And what I find Thank it you. does a lot of times is it hampers the role-playing element. Right. Uh, if you've got a, a fighter cleric magic user character that's an elf... Um, you're focusing on numbers a lot of times more than you're focusing on that character. Um, it takes a superior role player to be able to do that. Well, and um, so maybe I'm not. And, and so let's say someone was playing a cleric ranger along with another multi-class character. That's mm -hmm. a lot to juggle. So it might, right. might not be surprising that they would forget they're a cleric right. now and then. Isn't that right, Carlos? Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, I hate to say this, uh -uh. but the truth is that when I was creating... Uh, I was creating pregens last night, actually, for my uh, for one of my newer modules, and there's a cleric ranger in it. I did forget to put down cleric spells at first. See, with, with see, I should. Is this a good time to mention that I am a Patreon contributor to Carlos's site? Oh, this he is might good. be a little biased. Okay, that's wonderful. Well, this explains a lot. That's good. Why? Excellent. Uh, yeah. Excellent. Well, um, you know, I you, love I love all of my patrons. That's good. <laughs> well, love, and we love <laughs> our, our one. Yes, because we started last week, so we we're. Oh, here's a uh, Carlos. You should be expecting a bump. You're going to be getting expect the Grog Talk bump. Yes. Um, in probably in sale, and in particular in Sweden. Sweden, now, yes. I don't know if you're familiar. I've heard that. I've heard that you guys are huge in Sweden. Huge. Um, yeah. We are, and I think the reason is because we broadcast so early here in the States. That's right. It's <laughs> like okay. the only people awake are in Sweden, and also, not only we're going to get a ranking in Sweden for you, so expect you probably will have to go to Sweden at some point yeah, after Yeah, we this. may have to go with us to Sweden. Sweden is a great country. Actually, um, when I was over in Europe, uh, I got to play with a couple people from Sweden. And Adam Meyer is Swedish, by the way, who does great Greyhawk maps. Mm -hmm. Sweden's got a great game culture that goes all the way back. I mean, Anna used to run a game store back in uh, in a suburb of Oslo when she was back in, in the late 70s. So you got to remember, this has got... Sweden's got a, a big game culture to it, and there's a lot of really old-school, cool players there. Well, apparently, because, yeah, so we, I think, at one point, at one point. At one point, and I showed it. I, and, in fact, the chart and is And the Internet on, doesn't lie. The Internet never lies. We, we, we hit what? Did ten. We, hit? we were the top ten gaming podcast in Sweden wait, per charter. Wait, other, ga other games? G well, it's the gaming uh, slash other gaming. Oh, other okay. Games. We, we hit the top 10, and then immediately after that, we dropped to like 330-something, <laughs> and we've remained in the 300s. <laughs> hey, listen, you guys are ready for a comeback. Right, so so the whole challenge is... We're not old enough for a comeback. Yeah. We've only been doing this for four months, and already we need a comeback. Yeah, well, we started big, number 10, right. went to 330. We were like, wow, this looks great. This is going to be really good. Right, and unfortunately, as we've talked about it, our numbers have gone down. The we're like 356 now, so I'm sorry to say. Well, but or the more episodes they've seen. Right. They, You know, you know it's, it's sort of like at the beginning of the season, that team is out in first place. You're like, wow, 
And then, you know, about like, you know, 40 games in, it's reality. Well, that's the in. Mets. That's or it and- can work the opposite way where a team in last place at midpoint in the season can win the Stanley uh, Cup. Uh, the right. Blues. Uh, yeah. And let's not forget the amazing Mets in baseball. That's right. Um, speaking of other countries, my understanding, Carlos, is your wife, Amanda, is an Australian citizen. Is that right? Oh, my goodness. She the is. Connections. She is. I, my wife is Australian and... Uh, yeah, we, we go back there every couple of years, uh, go to visit and see the family and everything like that. Australia is an amazing place. Oh, we're very familiar. In fact, in fact when I was in Australia two times ago, my second to last one is where I bought my, uh, I got to buy my uh, uh, Expedition to Castle Greyhawk book. Cool. Because I wanted something D&D-wise to bring home with me. Now, the next time you're in Australia... You're going to have to visit our Viceroy. Grog Talk has a Viceroy. A Grog Talk Viceroy. Oh, you do? Oh, I, of course. Yeah. This surprises you? Uh, mildly. Mildly. <laughs> right, because you only heard about Sweden. That's right. I, I, didn't think, I didn't think that Viceroys were a thing in Australia. So. Well, he wanted to be a Thane. I think we're going to make... But we've can, he be, can he be both? What I, you, I don't know what either of those are. Right. Is this Heath? No, this is uh, David Thompson, who's been one of our early listeners, and uh, he's in uh, Adelaide, which is in the south of the country, uh, in the capital of uh, South Australia. And he was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and and we uh, crowned him or proclaimed him the Mm -hmm. Viceroy. We went through all the titles within the Dungeon Master's Guide. I'm really, I I want you to know I'm expecting a title at the end of this, but... Well, absolutely. uh, you one could, of the great, one of the great uh, backers of Gary Khan and another first edition guy uh, is is Heath, who is also in Adelaide. Really? So, uh, okay. Yeah. If if you're out there right now watching this, Heath, and he may be, he's a friend of mine. Uh, there you go. Now you know you you have somebody out there to play with in Adelaide. That's just two, there's two. That's right, and they're four, They're only fourteen hours ahead. So right now it's. Uh... Yeah, it's so about 11 o'clock, so they're dedicated. And, and Carlos, this is, I think, where you find out who your true supporters are, because, you know, we started at 8 in the morning. Your true, right. So so if any of them are watching this now, yeah. they're true supporters. All right, well, we got to... Oh, go ahead. Heart chargers. Heart chargers. We, we got to give him, a, we gotta give him a, a title. Not give him. We have to bestow a title because he's in Ohio. He's clearly in the Ohio Valley. He's now our... Uh, we have to get a title for so that. So he'll be our Ohio Valley. Uh, yeah. Well, what, they, do you, what do you want to be? Yeah. Uh, what would you like to be while we're is here? There a particular title that you? I don't know. Do I get a choice? Yeah. Of course. Well, you, can, like, you can request. I kind of like Baron Carlos. Baron oh. Carlos has kind of a nice nickname. Okay. To it. I, I, I I like that. Well, we can. Oh, and, we, and we can reserve of that. your name. Tell yeah. it, Tell it. So Castle Entertainment is not C A S T L E. It is. No, it is not. It is. It is my initials. Carlos Alvino, Sebastian Lysing. I love that. C A S L, Castle Entertainment. Yeah. It, it is half, uh, I'm half Filipino. So that is uh, where that comes from. Wonderful. I had a good friend, uh, Leonard, who, when I went to high school, was from the Philippines. So uh, that's awesome. Uh, but yes, I guess I guess Carlos Lysing is not uncommon in the Philippines. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, the, um, you know, so I think Baron of the Ohio Valley region of Grog Talk. Bar- Baron, uh, Baron and, Castle. What sounds better, Baron Carlos or Baron Lysen? Oh, that is... Lysing oh, has a I, nice... I'll leave that to you guys. You guys are bestowing the titles. Well, you know, if we, we, have our, we have our friends and associates, and, you know, the whole kingdom has to be set up, and we have to pick a level for him, too, because that was a thing we had last time. You thought he was... Ooh. Oh, what, 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 what race and class yes. would you like to be? 
Well, I'm definitely a magic user. That's my highest level cl- class I've ever played. Okay. Uh, I first, uh, so I will definitely be a magic user. But as far as level goes, I got to leave that to you as well. Again, I mean that uh, that's a big that's we're, a big step. We're today. gonna we're gonna roll it. What die should we roll? Do you think? Okay. I think a d20. D20. Shut. Let him roll a D20. Okay, you should roll your fate. That's right. Hey, right. I'll roll a D20. You know he's got dice nearby. He's a real right. gamer. This is going to be this is going to be ugly here. Yes, 19. Whoa. 19. Wonderful. Wow, he could kill us. We need to be he's, he's, he's in charge. Fortunately, he's in a land far away. He has How far pro- is Fireball? What's the range on a Fireball? Not to Florida. <laughs> Fortunately. <laughs> Well, okay. The fact he could time stop and do other things is, is, that, is more of an issue. That's a wizard, wish. right? Oh, yeah, he could do wish. Can I, can I teleport a delayed blast fireball? <laughs> you know, I, I, I think you probably could at that level. You'd be working there on it. There you go. Teleport without wow. air, delayed blast fireball. So, okay. so kind of, uh, you know, you mentioned the alarms. Uh, I just reminded me of how encyclopedic the DMG is. And sometimes it's not, you know, I, we asked this from some of our other guests that, you, this is not a manual on how to DM. It's it's a manual of picking things out. And I remember when I was young, reading on page 104 and 105, monsters and organization, and how you know the party discovers a fortress and attacks. And I remember reading that, going, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense. If they attack, they would organize that. But in the modules, they really a lot of modules. I just won't say all of them, but a lot of them don't talk about how you have to react. They just assume you have that skill set. And I think superior DMs like you say, hey, if you're going to assault someplace, you know, you're not trying to cover your tracks, this is what's going to happen. And I think part of it is when you read the DMG, some of it is so necessary, but it's buried in two other pages and you really don't know how important. So, um, Dan, you've yeah. read Marquesa over yeah. there next to you. Uh, every room will talk about how they intend on defending it and how it mm. links in with other efforts to protect the installation. Yeah. So yeah, I'm very. It, it's very appropriate to do that, especially since um, all, most of her uh, her cohort is at least of uh, at least of uh, passable intelligence to do that. And so, that's that's what I've found to be the most challenging part of DMing. Yeah is thinking on the fly, what are the baddies doing? When, when they're not in front of the player characters, right? They've been beaten off. When are the, how are they regrouping? Who are they grabbing? I, I've, I've often, with my adventures, is I write a list, because I run uh, modules that have been written, a list of every monster that's in the place, kind of like, okay, this is the force that's available to the big bad right. to, to group. But that I found that to be very challenging. Right. When do they attack? How you know? How, when will they arrive? Who will arrive? Uh, it, so Dan, whether you know it or not, you took Jim Ward's advice about module design by doing right. that. That's right. That's a good point. Yeah, and not in the random sense, but yeah, absolutely right. W- yeah. Right. What is in here? Um, yeah, having the ability, having the ability to know what is in the environment shapes how the characters indelibly shapes the way the characters interact in it. Absolutely. Do we have time to talk about some things that, some passions that Carlos and I share? Yeah, sure, we can do that. And then probably, uh, Carlos, how, how long is it gonna take to, because uh, one of the things, again, that Dan had impressed upon me was what he really appreciated as your style was how evocative you made uh, combat. And so you've uh, 
offered to run. You've sent us a couple of characters. We're very excited. How long do you think that's going to take uh, to do? Because I want to make sure we have plenty of time. Fifteen minutes. Okay, perfect. Oh, okay, okay. All right. So, and I took the we, fighter. I gave you the because spellcasters are. Well, I love this. Is awesome, you, Carlos. When you said that you wanted to be a mat, right? So we know that uh, Baron. I like Baron. You know, Baron Carlos sounds good. Yeah. Baron Lysing yeah. sounds a little evil. Right. So I, I will have to talk about that. Yeah. But you said you wanted to be a magic user. Is what drew you to pick magic user the very first time you played? The same reason why you just picked magic. So have you always had an affinity for a spellcaster? I always have. And I always thought one of the things I really thought was cool when I um, I just talked about this in my Patreon, as a matter of fact, uh, in an article about how Lord of the Rings has indelibly shaped uh, the D&D experience. And uh, for me, I, as I mentioned, I just read it, and I thought the, the, the coolest thing, they had this secret cabal of wizards with, you know, Saruman the White and Gandalf the Grey and Redagast the Brown. And I was like – and I thought it was even cooler that we didn't even know anything about a lot of these guys, but they were there. And it, I, I thought it was really mysterious, and I wanted to be part of that. I guess it's part of why my, some of my favorite NPCs in Greyhawk – to this day, are the Circle of Eight. Then you probably liked the backstory to Xenopus, right? Which is this wizard who, if I recall correctly, right, it was engulfed. In, the tower was engulfed in, in flame or bright light. I thought to myself, I thought to myself, man, I'm going to seize that power. Yeah, uh, it didn't go so good. I'm, surpri <laughs> I'm surprised that you haven't written sort of a, a follow-up to Xenopus, you know, I, as sort of an homage to your well, your first adventure. Well, all of my patrons do get a say in, in mm -hmm. the kind of things I write, so. I think that you may have just started something. Oh, excellent. Oh, excellent. Very cool. flame has, uh, has caught on. So, uh, so a Go couple ahead. things. Yeah, so a couple things. So uh, we share, I believe, I could be wrong, we share a love for gnomes. Wow. No, oh. absolutely not. Wow, I'm stunned. I'm totally kidding. Yeah, oh, I love gnomes. Okay, because I picked, so I was pleasantly surprised to see a module with, with gnome samurai and also when as a now as a Patreon supporter, I clicked on some of the, you get NPCs, right? Yep, as one, get, one of the benefits, which is really nice, particularly for people who are running adventures and don't want to spend time because it takes a long time to write up a good, right, pre-gen character. I shouldn't uh, say NPCs. pre-gen character takes me about 30 minutes to do like what I've done for you guys yeah. over there. But there's an attrition to it. I mean, once you've done about four or five of them a night, you're, you're roasted. To be sure. And I said, I think I may have said NPC, I meant pre-generated characters. Uh, mm -hmm. I clicked on the three that I was, that was available to me, and each one was a gnome. So, yeah, you signed up during gnome month. Uh, yeah. Gnome month? I have a good, one of my good friends, and if he's out there right now, this is for you, Jeremy. Uh, he's a huge gnome fan. And uh, the last couple months I've been doing things that are geared directly towards one of my, my patrons. Stuff I know that they'll just love. So that was a, a nod to him. He played the same character that you did, actually, in uh, Marquesa, Elsandra Sun, Sunshower. Oh, that's right, because he sat out. He was nice. He made room yeah. for an, another Dave, player, uh, and he, right, which okay. is very nice of him. Yeah, Jeremy's a great guy. In fact, those guys will be playing in my patron uh, campaign game, which kicks off tonight at 8 o'clock EST. Oh, yes, wonderful. and we wanted to mention that, right? Okay. Because, uh, right, that's on what? It's, it's on uh, Twitch TV tonight at 8 o'clock, you said? Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. and It'll then, be on my Twitch channel, Castle Lunar, Twitch TV uh, backslash, 
twitch.tv backslash castle entertainment one word okay and you'll get to see me run uh, a campaign game that will be ongoing with my highest uh, contributing patrons um it's going to be set in the world of Greyhawk, and it's going to be a blast. Everything that they do is going to be commemorated in a module. Wonderful. Fantastic. And I believe that on Sunday night, you'll be on Jay Scott's Twitch channel, right, with all sorts of Greyhawk. I will, yeah. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be up there uh, punching above my weight with uh, people like Anna Meyer and uh, Mike Bridges and Jay, uh, all the people. It's basically a who's who of, uh, of the Greyhawk world right now. Awesome. So I'm really excited to have been invited to that. Um, as you know, I was invited to the Greyhawk panel at uh, GaryCon this year. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's great. To, it feels good to be included in that in a group with those kind of people that are I I look up to their work. So, I think before we're done today. Well, we talked about gnomes. I I feel like you mentioned gnomes because you know I'm I'm maybe not as much of a fan. So what I'm oh, here. Go ahead. Go ahead, oh, Carlos. Okay. Let me drop my theory, my thesis on gnomes on you. Maybe maybe this will help you a little bit about it. All right. Here's my thesis on gnomes. Tolkien mythology shaped Dungeons and Dragons indelibly. That is usually the the uh, the vector drug for most of us getting into D and D is the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. All right. So let's take a quick look at the reflection of races in those. We have humans. We have elves. We have halflings, hobbits, and we have dwarves. Who is missing? No one. Oh, sorry. Well, well, you know, Bill Fernie may have been a half orc. We're not sure, but okay, yeah. So, no, but the, the the important thing to know about that is, people, what is possible to them is shaped a lot by those experiences of right. what they read. Right. So when they don't see those gnomes reflected, that becomes something that isn't there anymore. So I think that the reason why the gnomes aren't all that popular of a race is number one, people associate them with the cutesy garden gnomes. Right. And number two, because they're not reflected in Tolkien fantasy. Right. I, I love, I, I think you're a hundred percent correct. I love them because they, they like to play. Tra- so I think we associate with character classes and races that we think of ourselves sort of like, and so they sort of joke around, and they like to play tricks, uh, and so that's that's why I like them. Well, they like to play tricks, but they're not very funny, which is like a gnome. Just so, like me. Well, that, you could imply that. Right, um, exactly. So what I'm hearing, Carlos, is you're, you, you're uh, uh, Embrace Greyhawk, which is wonderful. I, you know, Again, that was the first setting that I really knew of. Um, and you're, you're taking and expanding the world by... So at, what I'm going to suggest, if anyone was going to be a patron of Grog Talk. Instead, if you can't afford both, be a patron for Carlos's Castle Entertainment because he will write a module that I'm going to suggest. Instead of Tomb of Horrors, Tomb of Gnomish Horrors. That's the module that I want to see that you write. Oh, wait, could it have those? Could it, what, is, well, is it going to be Zerf, Zerf Neblin? It, be, it could be whatever. James, maybe, maybe what you could do, maybe Dan can give you uh, his copy. Okay. In Gnomish Month, the Monster of the Month, because I do a Monster of the Month okay. too, is a demon that is specifically hates gnomes oh. and is trying to destroy gnomish culture wherever he can across the world of Greyhawk. Is he called the James Ma- James Meister? Because that would be amazing. That's, I, I, yeah, that's so. my alter ego. That's gonna be my icon. He's a he's a unique demon, and okay. you, he's right up your alley. Yeah, he, his frequent. He'd, if I run a game that has a gnome, that'd be. You remember frequency? He'd be frequent. That Great, would be. right. In fact, more than common. every time the gnome, yeah, common. ubiquitous. Even more than <laughs> even more than ubiquitous. Common. That's ubiquitous. right. Ever present. That's right. <laughs> He's constantly here. 
He, once he's done that. So, yeah, that's, uh, look, I don't have any issues with well, you and, and, and as I mentioned, you have a module, Carlos Wright, that it has that features Gnome Samurai. Is that right. correct? I do. I wrote a, I had, this has kind of a little bit of an elaborate background, so I'll try and go as quickly as I can. At GaryCon, my, my Marquesa game that I ran, the very first one, which was called Kill Marquesa, had 12 players in it, one of which was Luke Gygax, and it went off incredibly well, more better than I could have possibly expected. And I started getting questions from people, hey, are you going to run anything else at the show? Um, okay, yeah, I'll run something else. So I went up to my room, and I, I totally Tony Starked an adventure. I just yeah. basically went to work on there, created it out of nothing, and um, I ran it. And three of the characters in there ended up being gnomes, and they loved it. Mm. And they said, hey, we want to run a sequel to this next year. Wait, what do you so mean? I'm sorry, that? what do you mean ended up? So it makes it sound like you randomly rolled gnomes, or you, you picked Oh, no, gnomes. the... Uh, Part of the whole way that it worked, the, the game worked, is you could ch you could choose your cl your class and race. Oh. They chose to be gnomes. Oh. So they end up having three gnomes, and uh, I wrote a, a module called In Nomine Septum about that, which is in the name of the seven. It is an homage to the seven samurai. For any of you who know uh, who the god Merlin is in the world of Greyhawk, he's basically a cowboy. And so what I did was I took the whole idea of Seven Samurai slash A Magnificent Seven and decided I'm going to turn it on its head. What if all the characters were gnomes? And instead of right, it was a little bit more humorous than my normal fare because that's what the players particularly liked. Well, they loved that one, so they wanted another sequel. So this year I ran uh, Who Sits Upon the Oaken Throne. And next year I'm going to run the, uh, the, the conclusion to the three modules, which is as of yet unnamed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so if you're going to a, a, a convention and you want to play a frivolous character that you would normally not play, you play a gnome. I totally get that. That makes a lot of sense. So, that's, that's, that's so very uh, condescending. Uh, huh? It's very condescending. Well, I'm not condescending. I'm just huh. stating my opinion. Right, you huh? Dan, I will mention that the second greatest published gnome in the world of Greyhawk would be um, Count Imerich von Susvaren, hmm. who is the uh, retainer to uh, Nistel. Of the Circle of Eight. Oh wow! So, excuse me, of Odaluk, not Nistel. So, and he is a hardcore fighter illusionist type. He's not a jokester. He's a hard charger. See? So, oh yeah, that is. He flies in the face of the conventional take on gnomes a little bit, which is why, if you'll notice, on the three gnomish uh, NPCs you got this year, one of them was similar to that in tone. Well, maybe that guy... I like to reflect that that was a part of the culture. Well, maybe you could, like, have a segment where that guy kills James's character. Okay. That would be fun. Well, <laughs> and, 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 and tonight's game that, I'm, that DM John is running tonight, I am playing Dwinkle. Dwinkle Pew. <laughs> Dwinkle Pew. Dwinkle Pew. Who's a gnome? Yeah, you chose a gnome. to pay... I know. It's a gnome, what, fighter illusionist? Fighter illusionist. And you chose that. I, I chose... That. Oh, he talks that way. Yes, I, I like Count. Like a no. Oh. What about Count? Count Lysen. Count Lysen. You know what? Before or Count Castle. Done. I mean, there's he, there's a lot of choices, and we'll defer. You do not have to make this choice now. You can email because we'll put your uh, your heraldry on our site, so you can decide. Oh, awesome, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I we, think before we're done, can we pull out the Greyhawk map and just point to it? And then we can like talk about the location. Okay. Yeah. Let's. Well, let's do this because I want. I know that Jeannie's going to be calling fifteen minutes, and he oh. said, like Geico, he'll have us dead in fifteen oh, minutes or less. It. So, um, 
So, Carlos. That's too bad. That was a great idea about the World of Greyhawk map. I'd love that. Well, we'll do it right after. So, Jeannie will call, and then we'll point at the map, and we'll do that, and then we'll wrap up. So, it'll be perfect. Sounds good. So, um, just for background for our folks, and by the way, we're on on the chat. We're also, you can call us 407-476-6779 on the Grog Talk. Um, So, Carlos has graciously offered to... Uh, demonstrate his DM skills Saturday morning, which again, uh, I really appreciate. So he has sent us uh, a couple of characters. So uh, Carlos, take it away. You're in charge now. Okay. Um, As you guys have seen on your character sheets, one of you is the fighter and one of you is the magic user. Which one of you guys has chosen which character? I am Floki Bjornsson. Tell me a little bit about yourself, Floki. So I am uh, legendary amongst the Kruski. And right now, as a hero of the Kruski, I was able to, and successfully saved the small village of Bortu. And I've been now uh, summoned by the Jarlandi to defeat uh, the, potentially the invisible warrior and dragon and other nefarious creatures. And hopefully with my skill and being part of the invisible agents, I will be able to extract justice and defend the land. Awesome. Dan? I am Haukur Olafsson. I hail, I'm a fighter. I hail from the small village of Bear Hearth along the ICC. I made a name for myself spearheading a warband of ice barbarians that met a small orcish army descending from the heights of the Korisk Mountains to prey on the tiny settlements of the tundra. My staunch bravery and terrifying ferocity upon that gruesome made my name known across the whole of the Krusky land. Indeed, it is said that the mere mention of it is enough to stiffen the spines of the chorus humanoids with respect and more than a little fear. So it is that uh, few were surprised when Jarland of Jotsplat called Hakur to her throne to serve as a champion for the Ice Barbarians. I know well the stories of the White Rider and his horrific mount, but fear is a stranger to a man such as me. I am prepared to wrestle his dragon of the earth and snap its neck and his bear within my bare hands if I must, all for the glory of Krusky. Hail Krusky. Hail Krusky. Okay, you guys are uh, are both barbarian uh, characters. Mm. You both have your classes. Um, You've managed to, uh, the both of you have managed to uh, trail the White Rider uh, his, through with the, with the rest of your, uh, your party. Uh, you've gone across land, uh, over land to the, the feet of the Korisk Mountains. It's a very, uh, been a very arduous trip for both of you. Your mounts are very tired. But um, the word that you have gotten from the witches in the Yarlin's employ have told you that uh, the White Rider will be found within a small um, hidden uh, redoubt, which is at the feet of the, the mountains. Uh, you've managed to find a slow, slowly turning stairwell that descends about 30 feet into the ground before it goes to blackness. The stairs are all covered with loose snows and rime all around you, the winds are buffeting you back and forth. Your beards are covered in ice. Eyebrows are, are, are covered in snow. It's been a... Getting inside of there will almost be a relief no matter what kind of danger you find in there. Please give me a marching order and tell me what you do. 
Well, you're the magic user, so you should go I first. Should go first. <laughs> That's right. I should I go say, first, right? I say Horkor. Horkor Olofsson shall be in front. Yes. But how wide is this stair? And how wide is this stairway? About five feet wide. Ah, uh, yes. A single file. Yes, I will go first. And I will. Okay. Floki will stand behind. Uh, Horkor. Is perhaps, it? perhaps this this white rider is very powerful, as we know. Perhaps I should uh, cast invisibility. I am I am a, a purveyor of the invisible arts, and I will stand behind you so that pot potentially you can get a jump on him. Uh, that sounds like a fine plan. Uh, I'm getting cold. Shall we get? Yes, let us freezing. Well, I could cast fireball on you, but that would not. Please be, do not, not do that. Okay, we is not there? Do that. Uh, so, uh, looking down, Carlos, is it dark down there? Are we going to need? A, do we sense we'll need a light source? Down, uh, as you get closer to the stairwell, you notice that perhaps uh, it's it's hard to tell as the hallway turns, but it you do see something flickering like torchlight. Okay, uh, good. So, uh, uh, so I'm going to catch. Go ahead. Floki, I'm sorry. I'd like you to roll me a twenty-sided dice, please. Okay. Thirteen. Floki, having be uh, uh, having studied the monsters that walk the world for as long as you have, you know that uh, what Halker said must certainly be true. Because if he was going to get his white dragon mount down here, then certainly. Foul magics must be afoot. Yes. So I, I will relay this information to Hoku, and uh, I cast invisibility on him, and then we, uh, I, I'm going to say, you know, every 10 feet stop, uh, don't continue or else I'll bash into you because so, I want you to be invisible. So I have the invisibility, oh. not you. Yes. Okay. How far distant are you from one another? Well, I'm going to be uh, 15 feet behind him going Excellent. as we descend down the stairs. And then at the- Okay, Halker. Halker, are you going to use any sort of illumination besides what or the torch that you think you see down there? Uh, not at the moment. Okay. And I'm going to have battle. Halker, as you begin to descend the, the twisting stair, stairs are steep, and you have to be very careful as you, tra as you traverse them because they're covered in ice. Even inside of this place, you can feel that the, it feels like the marrow of the mountains themselves have been frozen to the bone by the bitter cold that surround that ensconces the land over here in the barbarian lands. You go down further, the wind abruptly stops as you get farther enough down that the tunnel actually begins to, uh, it, it kills it. Uh, Floki, you feel the same thing. Just getting out of the cold is good. Mm. As you get down further, down the twisting stair, Halker, you notice that on the wall there is a sconce. But ahead of you, there's a door. Okay, so straight ahead of me. Straight ahead of you, there's a door. It is bound in iron at the top of it and the bottom of it. The door is the door looks like it has a uh, a, a traditional push catch on it. Okay, uh, so um, I wait till Floki comes to join me. Yes, I say Floki, shall we listen at the door? Yes, we shall listen. Okay, shall we uh, each listen? So well, we can listen. Both of us can listen at the same time. That's right. In Both, hushed tones, we listen. We're going to take off our headgear. Well, I'll take off my headgear, and uh, we're each going to listen at the door. I'd like you both to roll me a 1d6, please. All right. I rolled a 1. I rolled a 3. Uh, Floki, inside of there, you don't hear anything, Halker, except for the sound of your your own pulse in your veins because you're so amped up, you're so revved up for the possibility of battle. 
Uh, Floki, you know that Halker has often given to the Berserker spirit. It's one of the things he's best known for is his ability to lose himself to rage in battle. He's very unpredictable, but he's like a whirlwind of steel when that happens. Uh, so it doesn't surprise you at all that he can't hear what your sharp ears do pick up behind you. Yeah. And back there, you hear something. It sounds like something walking around frozen grass. Okay. It sounds like footsteps, but there's a lot of them. So, Hokar. You hear something kind of like, every, for a, a short period of time, you hear something like a rabbit trill, and then it stops. There are... The there is movement afoot past where we've listened, Hokar. I hear a beating heart in there, I believe. <laughs> That's telltale heart, exactly. <laughs> so, all right, what, what is, what is uh, so let's uh, uh, open the door. Let me go in. I will destroy them all. And we know these are enemies of us. There is no chance for... for there is no doubt that these are enemies uh, of yours because anything that's, that would be out this far away from you is either, it, 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 it's, it's either a rival tribe or it's inimical to you. We, we, Perhaps it might be the humanoids that descend from the Korisks that Halker has fought against so so long. So I, I say to Halker in hushed tones, "Perhaps you should open the door, and I unleash a fireball in there, and then use what you do best, Halker, instill your fury and destroy what is left." Ah, that's an excellent plan. Unless the room is too close and I burn ourselves. But that's another story. We'll worry about that when I open the door. So I'm, I'm going to step you know, as I've far been, back. Oh, go ahead. I'm I have an intelligence of seven and a wisdom of seven. Okay. So, so. you're going to go with whatever I say. That's uh, great. Sounds so good to me. So You're the brains. He's the broad. Okay. So <laughs> I tell he's going to, Flokar is, uh, Horkar is going to open the door. Floki, me, is going to step as far back as I can. He's going to open the door. Hopefully uh, I can survey what's in the room. Uh, and if the room is large enough to in, uh, accept a fireball without it blowing back into me, uh, I, will, right. I will prepare my, my uh, guano and sulfur and, and cast it. The good news for you, Floki, is that because the stairs go directly down to the door, you can actually be slightly above where he stands. Excellent. And you can actually toss this fireball over his shoulder. So That's that what we a, do. That's, it's a solid strategy. That's what we will okay. do. Halker, you put your hands on the door. You almost have to, you, your, your fingers are, are actually, you have to force them to bend around the, uh, the door because you've been so long on your journey. But you push down the, the catch on it and you throw open the door as you said you would. Yep. Within the room that you see, the room, because you're at the door, your sense of scope beyond the door is skewed. You can't see exactly how far the room goes, but it goes farther than you're capable of seeing. Okay. Okay. So your first instinct is yes, it will accept a fireball. And then I will cast it as we said. Okay. Halker, you see inside of there, there's all these little creatures that are in there. They look like, they look like foxes, uh, white foxes, probably mm -hmm. about two feet long. They're about, uh, maybe about your knee in height. And they all look up at you as if surprised. There's like there's seven of them. They're all in the uh, walking around this like frozen, like uh, it looks like moss almost. It looks like they were eating out of it previously. But Floki, you go ahead and you toss your fireball in there, right? 
Yes, I do. Yes. I, get, I get out of the way. Yes, I stay stand behind the door, behind the door, and I launch. Well, my... because of the way the ro- the doorway goes into there, there really is oh, no behind. Oh, the, the door. that's right. The door opens into the room. Correct. So if Loki goes ahead and throws the fireball in there. I will. Loki, I'd like you to roll me a uh, your uh, your damage, please. Very well. Four, uh, I believe five d six. That's correct. I am a fifth level magic user. So 13 and two more dice, and eight is 21. Halker, you hear Floki recite the arcane incantation behind you. He throws his sulfur in the air, which ignites above his hand without flame. Right away, you taste the scent of magic in the air. His hand traces around in a circle like a ball around it, around his hand. The air itself seems to ignite as he throws the guano into it, reaches back and throws his hands forward, and this massive ball, flaming ball skirts past your ear. You've been cold so long that it feels almost <laughs> like your ear almost breaks for it. Ah. It seems the sheer heat as it goes through the air makes the, makes the air around it seem to shriek for a moment as the fireball bolts past you, lighting up the entire inside of the the uh, hallway, the corridor, and the room beyond. The, these little foxes look up as Floki throws it, the ball in there, and all you can see is this huge inferno explode upwards around there. You've seen it before. You've seen him throw a fireball, and it's majestic. It's incredible, and you expect to see nothing but charred bones inside, but instead something comes flying at you. Instantly, this wall of vegetation mm. comes flying at you. I need you to make me a saving throw, please. Okay. Both of us are just uh, whole card. Uh, both of you. Okay. I have an 11. Is it against spells? Uh, no, it would be against uh, a breath weapon. Oh, well, oh. I, I totally failed. I made it. Congratulations. Yes. Okay. Floki? He's rolling a lot of dice. Is this incomprehensible death? <laughs> please take, please take twenty nine. Okay, so you see, uh, you uh, what, what? I don't know. You you describe what happened to Floki. Instantly, Flo-ki. are you are you dead? Oh yeah, very dead. <laughs> Instantly, what you see, Floki, is the last thing you see is this wall of this. You smell something pungent in the air, and this brownish looking, moldish substance just fills the entire corridor backwards <laughs> for you. That's awesome. Halker, you, you are swimming in this brown mold, and the entire time you feel the heat leaching out of your flesh. You can feel it was even the, t- the teeth of it are even are far worse than even the cold outside. You're feeling your fingernails shatter inside of your gloves. You're shaking uncontrollably inside. Have I taken any you damage? Feel like, feel like your 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 bones are going to shatter inside of your skin. Have I taken what any? You, have I taken any damage? Yes, you've taken twenty nine points of damage, or excuse me, you've taken uh, fourteen points of damage. Ah, okay, all right. But you're going to continue to take serious damage from this point onwards because you're now surrounded in the brown mold that he that they were eating on the floor there that now fills the entire hallway. Well, uh, so what do I see um, on the inside of these? What are these foxes still there? You don't see anything. Nothing. You're surrounded. Oh. You're swimming literally oh. in brown mold. Oh, I'm going to try to. Well, I would try to. 
get my way out of forward, this. Forward or backward? Oh, forward. That's right. This is Hauker. That's right. I'm Make going. me another save, Hauker. I'm on fire. Well, not on fire anymore. Hopefully not literally. 15, I made it. Take 15. You feel the, the life beginning to leech out of you. Your eyes are getting heavy. You're fighting against it, clawing through there. But it's it's up your nose. It's in wow. your ears. And everything is freezing all around you. Your eyes, you can't see anymore. I'm, what are you going to do? I'm going. You're going to just keep fighting yes, forward? Yes, I'm going forward. Make me an intelligence check, please. <laughs> uh, 20, please. My character actually me. <laughs> uh, uh, your, your character. Make me a 20. 13, I failed. I'm a 7 intelligence. Yeah. Okay, uh. Make me another save. Three. I failed. This may be less than 15 minutes. That's right. Well, that's, that's, no, it's perfect because uh, Jeannie's about to call. Take 27. Oh. Uh, I, I am at minus 11. The last <laughs> is thing that, that you see, Hauker, <laughs> the last thing you see is you claw through, you break through the yeah. brown mold with your hand. And you hit the wall. You were clawing the wrong way. Oh, that's that is, awesome! That is an incomprehensible. That is incomprehensible death. death. That's wonderful. Thank, Very that good. Was, now I'm only at minus eleven. So what's your death rule? Does that minus eleven? Would that be death? Oh, you, I, you'd be dead. I, yeah. Because not only that, not only are not only are you at negative beyond negative ten hit points, but on top of that, there's really no escape for you at this point. Wow. Yeah. So thank you. That was, that was great. That was incomprehensible. That was incom. It, it checked all the boxes. It really did. Now, <laughs> what could Alcarlo? What was that? that oh, I, I literally knows? did. I literally did the worst thing I could have done. So what? Can you can you <laughs> yeah, give us a recap? But you know what? But you know what? I suckered you into it. That's it's part of the design of your character sheet. Yeah. I suckered you into it. Yeah. It's literally. <laughs> so, so, yeah. He gives me all this. He I because next I was going to use the potion of fiery breath. That was my next uh, thing I was going to use. Well, so can we have we can we have a quick post game recap? What of course what, you can. what happened? What you actually did was you guys ran just now through the second room in the adventure card I gave you. Okay. In which. There are seven Horfoxes, which are two hit dice creatures that are nastier than you would expect them to be. They're from the Fiendfolio, and what they do is they have a breath weapon in which they do one to six, one to eight damage, right? You think it wouldn't be bad, except they hit you no matter what your armor class is as if you were AC 10. Wow. So they can hit you pretty much automatically, yeah. no problem. So on top of that, You've got to either do one of two things. You've got to deal with the breath weapons or you use a fire attack, which is the sensible thing, right? Except for the person that's in charge of that knows that if she lines the entire floor of this place with brown mold, two things will happen. Number one, it will keep the room nice and cold so the foxes will be happy because they're her pets. But second of all, on top of it, it's a trap. It's a trap, so like, the, so admiral, the, like the, the admiral. The obvious, the obvious answer to kill them with fire is the answer that'll kill you. Yeah. So did, so the fireball basically uh, caused... So brown mold brown. loves heat, and it grows exponentially when it has heat. So I literally just bloomed it. It's like I gave algae, you know, a bunch of uh, nitrates. So you're at fault. Yes, oh, totally. I, I was texting Jeannie and, and uh, Vic. Literally the worst thing I could have done was <laughs> cast some fireball. <laughs> so that is our inaugural 
In, in, uh, episode. Incomprehensible death. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Carmen. Yes. Fantastic. Floki uh, would have been like, oh, this is perfect. I fi- shoot the fireball and then this brown mode explodes growth. But you know, but see, but this is what this is. This shows that Carlos is a great DM yeah. is is even when you die, you thank him. That's right. Because it was a it was so right. It was so picturesque. Right. So descriptive. Well, this is what happens with usually my the people that play with us. They do that. They throw the thing and they walk out. You know. Yeah. Right. Well, they never throw anything. They're just angry at, us. at you. They just they just leave. No, you need to work on with you need to do what Carlos does. You kill the characters and they thank you. Right. Thank yeah. you for killing me. Yes. It was a pleasure. Yeah. That was that was I, awesome. I'm glad you guys. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Did you Did you feel like you were there? Did you, yeah. Was it yes. Fantastic. No, that was awesome. As a that, matter of fact, I honestly just wanted to sit and listen. <laughs> I didn't yeah. want. I know. I didn't even want to play. I just enjoyed. I wanted to hear a good story. Yeah, it was, it, was great. it was great, the backstory, and I can see the amount of work that you put into the characters and... And, and um, killing. Well, and, and just just the mod, you know, the setup, uh, being creative with that. Uh, Those two characters will appear again, actually. They were created as pre-gens for the module I'm working on right now. Okay. So you'll see them actually appear in a Castle Entertainment project later. Great. Awesome. Yeah, they're, they're really, and, they're flavorful. And you guys will get playtesting credits for it. Well... That's yes. why we were so helpful. Well, uh, the fireball does work. Check. Yes. Uh, nope. ca- character notes, possibly more hit points. Yeah, you, that you, would be yeah, helpful. Yeah, you know when James and Dan play test, it's basically, yeah, I don't need to change a thing. That's right, crash t- test dummies. Right. That's us. Or, or yeah. Maybe. No, that, that trap is now I know that it's it's a winner. Now, well, see, the, now oh, the, the viewers of this, though, see, now this is one of the benefits of viewing. That's right. Grog Grog talk, talk, they you get the insight into these adventures. So I'm going to let tell Jeannie she can call now. Yes, so speaking and can of Carlos Hank, can, can this happen? This can happen together, right? Carlos yeah, can so, remain online. Yep, yeah, she'll be out. Yeah, she, she won't. If I would have known she was going to be here, I'd have given her a character sheet too. She could have died with you guys. That uh, would have been awesome. Well, no, no, no. She, listen, she, as you probably know, she plays in Vic Dorso's game. She's had oh. enough characters die. Yeah. We, oh, you know, I didn't know that, yeah, actually. I didn't know. Okay. Jeannie is Vic's significant other. And so, as, oh. as a matter of fact, we we're going to do an in memoriam segment, and I was flooded with characters of right. genies who have died. That's right, literally. Been, like literally, like I got oh. to meet I got to meet Vic two years ago at Gamehole Con, and then at Gary Con this year. Uh, he and I are acquaintances. I really don't know him super well, though. Yeah, he was on our show last week, and we we did spring yeah, this. Yeah, I, I watched. I watched. Oh, thank you. Oh, you were the viewer. That's right. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> thank we you. Can, hold on. You used that gag. You used that gag last week. It's, it's like did. this. It's like well, a. It's like a murder mystery. Who I, did it? Who's who watched it? Right. I used to okay. say material. I'm sorry. You yeah. know, it's like I don't <laughs> have a lot of new part. material. But you know what's interesting about the Dorso episode is on YouTube, it is a, about to be our most watched episode in like five days, and I, I this is it's amazing to me. Right, and our skyrocket, and, and our downloads. Um, you know, we're doing twenty or thirty oh, a day now. So, and we can't forget. And what's really surprising about Vic Dorso's episode doing so well is it only scored a six out of ten. That was its right. rating. That, that at the end, you get to roll a d10 to to, to determine how what level of. Uh, I wondered what you guys, how you guys did the the determinant. Wait, so yeah. ran, you're going to oh, randomly oh. roll it? All right, let's see. I'm calling. Somehow, I she tried to call me. It didn't work. So let's see. Hello. Oh, I think we. Yes, we have our. We have hey. a. Hey, this is James and with Dan and Carlos. You're on Grog Talk Live. How are you? Hello, Jeannie. Good. How are you? This is Jeannie Mueller calling in. Well, it's good. Thanks for, ca- thanks for calling. Hopefully, Carlos can hear you. I'm trying to balance. I can hear her. I okay, can hear her. Good. So, uh, okay. 
so, so Judy, thank you for calling in. So this is, uh, this is gonna be the inaugural segment for our In Memoriam. Death is not the end. Do not mourn my passing. You are not left alone. You can send in your character sheet of a character who has died. Tell us a little bit about their backstory and how they died, and we'll pay our respects to them, and we'll put them in the the Grog Talk graveyard yep. here at Grog Talk headquarters. Oh, and I forgot to mention that we're broadcasting from the Ford Inn at the City League uh, in Palinard. So oh, that's right. I, you know, we, we keep forgetting to uh, support our benefactors who allowed us to go to those places. So, and uh, we'll send you the link on our GrogCon site, our new In Memoriam page where those who are inclined can send their characters and give a background. So, uh, Jeannie, um, you know, last week we had uh, talked to Vic and he was very gleeful in the amount of murdering he's done, particularly <laughs> of your character. So perhaps you can set the record straight and also uh, talk about your character. All right. Well, yes, he is quite a gleeful <laughs> was. and lethal oh. game master when it comes to um, killing characters. So, as you as you heard as you learned on Grog Talk last week, um, and since I at this point I can't tell you how many of my characters I've killed in the how many years I've been playing. Well, that's uh, interesting. Jeannie, I think you so. need... I'm, I'm sorry, Jeannie, you need an intervention. The, what you said was how many players, characters you've <laughs> killed. That sounds like Vic. Vic's the one who told us. Oh, it's not... So, you know, if you need some help or deprogramming, we'd be. you can call us anytime. You shouldn't, shouldn't allow his language in there. He killed your characters. You're a player now. You know, don't, don't let that happen. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted... That was a very interesting <laughs> comment. Go ahead. <laughs> that's okay. Um... Well, I think he sent you, you three characters um, last week that he killed um, in, in the past probably three months or less um, that we've been playing um, with a group for about a year. And um, the one character was a sort of an Amazon, Amazonian-sized female who was a, a wood elf and um, a ranger. She managed to make it to fifth level. And her name was Soleil Silverleaf. And she was friends with my one character who's managed to stay alive so far, mm. who's a druid. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other character was a uh, magic user. And nobody in the group knew that she was also an assassin, but a lawful assassin. Okay. And um, anyway, her name is Lyra Fauna Moonshadow, and she was sent by uh, my one character who's alive by the character's mother to protect her because um, she had been childhood friends with my character who was, who was still alive. And um, she um, managed to travel hundreds of miles to our little hovel we're trying to develop um, in some mountains, but we keep getting attacked by all manner of monsters, particularly like stone giants and cloud giants. And unfortunately, she met her demise by um, stone giants and 
or not stone giants, hill giants and hill giants. giants and ogres. Hill giants. <laughs> well, that was our character. That was our monster of the week. So it was apropos. We did not plan this. The the dice have. S- have worked in our favor once again. <laughs> this is the one that killed you. So Dan's got some questions about yeah. your character. Uh, yes, is it, uh, oh. the, the name, oh. Lyra? Okay. And, and can you pronounce the name again, Janie, of the character? Um, Lyra Fauna Moonshadow. Lyra Fauna. What, what, what would you like yeah. our listeners to remember about Lyra Fauna? Yes. Well, to remember about her? Yeah. Um, well... Um, let's see. She, um... This is very hard for her. She, apparently well, she apparently not a very well-developed well, backstory. Or, or maybe it's bringing up a lot of emotions. That she's, she's emotional. This, this may be a little more dramatic <laughs> wow. than we were hoping. We hadn't expected this. No, this is going dark do you, already. Do you so. need a moment? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have a question. Dramatic. So if you're a lot... Lo- <laughs> I see on your character sheet you wrote thief. Now, did you write that on there to trick other players into believing you were a thief when you're really an assassin? <laughs> yes. He, oh. Yeah, he said don't, yeah, he said put, yeah, say that you're a he magic said, user thief. You don't want anybody to know, heck. you know, that you're an assassin, oh. which is true. And um, I actually... I don't know why that why I filled that in. That was my goof up because I just had magic user on there. Uh-huh. But but um, she uh, had a she was pretty skilled at like her her special skill was um, like sneaking into people's bedrooms at night and um, poisoning them or um, slitting their throats uh-huh. and. Um, she was I, I have to, a question for uh, I have a question for Jeannie. Okay. My character, who actually is a um, a druid, but also when I rolled it, I wrote we have to roll our social class and everything. And I rolled that she was a princess of of Puriendi. Oh. So her parents, her mother sent Lyrifana to protect her because oh, okay. um, their daughter was supposed to marry a a son of a Shieldland. Um, character and um he he did everything against what a druid's principles was would be he enjoyed like you know killing animals and just his character was more of a, she just didn't like him so she sort of ran away from the palace to get away from him then he sent bandits after her and all this stuff happened this has been ongoing so then the, um my character's mother found out that his um that his the woman he was marrying was sending her or sending assassins after my character again, so that's why they sent Lara Fauna to. <coughs> she sent her to protect my character. Gotcha. Hey, so, hey go ahead. No, oh, I was just gonna say. Um, but before my character, my character was also traveling to Makisburg, which is our town, we or our little village we've been trying to build up, and um, she didn't. She didn't get there in time. Lyrafana was, we, the, the town was attacked by all the giants and the ogres, and Lyrafana was killed before my character got there. Okay. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so hey, hey, so Carlos has a question. Carlos, she can't hear you, so I'll have to relay it to you. Okay, I, I'm interested okay. to know, our, our dear departed Lyrasona, what gods did, did she worship so that we can have a proper send-off? Yeah, for yeah. Her. What, did, she, did she have a patron deity, uh, Lyrasona, have a patron deity, Jeannie? 
Yes, it would have been. Yeah, I can't read it on I your character. I don't have it. I have it. I probably have it written down. I have a little um, notebook, and I probably wrote it down in there, and I don't have it with me. Well, that's okay. I so what you can well, that's do, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Carol says, okay, what you can do is you can email that to info at GrogCon, and then we'll let Carlos know, and we'll come up with something to add to your in memoriam, the ritual that was done after the falling uh, of the giants. But what that's are we, not a problem. But while we're waiting to find out what the deity was to do the proper ceremony, what are we going to do with the body? Well, I, Shall we just like... Store it somewhere in in the bag of hold or the uh, portable hole. I assume they just have. throw the body I in there. I understand there's a room that's awful cold actually, over there by the forest. Yeah, like that. I, believe, oh, so. I believe I was actually. I was probably. Con I I believe I was. Uh, um, consumed by, uh, something probably eaten by a giant. Or oh, it may not be a body. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so is is, is is resurrection yeah. possible? Or just reincarnation at this point. Uh, that depends the, how how long is that right? Well, well, raised dead is uh, days. It's probably way past that, but uh, reincarnation potentially. So we may do a reincarnation role at some. Well, point. maybe this is a good thing that we don't have a body. Then but she was a druid. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true, Carlos. So well, Jeannie, thank you for spending some time yeah. here. You, you're more than happy to stay on. We're gonna we're gonna finish up a couple of things with Carlos, but thank you for being our inaugural. Um, Mourner on yeah. our in memoriam section, <laughs> and um, you know yeah. I'm sorry that the body was consumed. But if there is any remnants, you know, talk to Vic <laughs> and find out who your patron deity is, and we would put that. Uh, we'll send you the link uh, of of where it is. Okay. So hey, say hello to Vic and right. um, tell him I that will. this programming of that it's your fault that your characters die. That that's not going to work anymore. <laughs> you, we we can do an intervention if you'd like. Absolutely, I will. <laughs> All right, see you later, guys. All right, Jeannie. Thank All right. you. Bye-bye. Yep. Take care. Okay. So here's what I suggest. Uh, being that my most powerful character that I've ever had, uh, his patron deity was Istus, the goddess of fate. Sure, yeah. I, she's, she's very non-denominational, and I would suggest that we, uh, we say a quick, uh, quick prayer to uh, Jeannie's character, to the goddess of fate and destiny, Istus. Okay. So great Istus, uh, take... Cat, uh, Liasana to her rightful place. Um, wh I guess that would be up in uh, where the Mo the uh, Modrins are. What's that? Nirvana is a lawful neutral. Which is yep, Nirvana. Yeah. So uh, bring her soul, or excuse me, her spirit. She's an elf. Bring her spirit to Nirvana, where it can be reformed and her past life can be brought uh, to reconciliation for the terrible atrocity that happened. In Istis' name, we say thank you. Thank you. That was pretty good. Oh, she's an elf? She's coming back. It's something, yeah, right? That's, that's, I, no, she was a human. I'm sorry. I thought oh, she was no, an elf. Oh, no, she's not coming back. So, go. I thought she was. She must be like dual class then or something. So, What's going it's on just, in that game? Istis yeah. can figure it out. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> Istis is smart enough. We should roll that. So, she's a great regattas. She's got it covered. <laughs> so, so here, so just before Dan does it, we have the western side of the map of the uh, cat, uh, world of Greyhawk for you. Hey. Okay. And I'm gonna wait. If you if you worship a deity uh -huh. that is not your alignment, where do you go? Do you Ooh. not go to the plane where that deity is? Are you like, hey, where is my deity? Well, what he, I think Carlos was saying that because she was uh, non-denominational, that she kind of felt that this Istis would would be a, a, a guide and and uh, 
channel her yeah. as thing of fate yeah. uh, to, to the proper place. I just meant general. So let's say uh, I worship a chaotic neutral deity, okay. but I'm actually, I don't know, true neutral. Where do I go? You'd end up going to the chaotic neutral deity's plane, home plane. Oh, okay. So Which that is why if you ever look at like the manual of the planes and stuff like that, the monster tables for each one of them, their alignments aren't necessarily for that uh, for that plane. They don't line up exactly. So you go you go to the plane of the de- your patron deity. Correct. Got it. So I could be surrounded by some people who are a little different in alignment than I am. So it's not. Of all- course. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, all right. So yes, I'm going to randomly select a place. Well, I'm in the water, but the clue. <laughs> I've landed in the water. Well, are well, you in the Solnor Ocean? I am in the well. I am in the oh, Ardai Sea, very close to what is that? Uh, very close to Dull Strand. That's right, by the Lord Lordship of the Isles. Well, you, since you actually touched on the water, yes, just off I'm the coast. I'm actually going to talk about the Solnor Ocean for a moment, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. That's a little north of there. Absolutely. The Solnor Ocean is the largest ocean on the world of Orth. It is actually the an ocean that is bounded, uh, if you want to look t- look at it this way, it's bounded loosely on three sides. One of them is by the Flanes, which is the continent of Eric, which is the what, what you just saw on the map over there. That'll be on its east, on its west side. On the north, you'll see it bounded by the small island of Fireland, the subcontinent of Fireland, which is off the map. Yeah, yeah. And to the extreme west, which is even further off the map, is Frank Metzer's home setting, which is called Aquaria. Otherwise known as Aqua Aquaria, otherwise known as New Imperia. Interesting. The Solnor is similar in character to the Pacific Ocean in that it's great in size and in depth, and it is a relatively uh, amenable ocean in comparison to, say, the icy sea to the north. Interesting. And and so you've carried on, Greyhawk. I mean, your knowledge is encyclopedic. That's awesome. Um, Thank you. And, uh, you know, so you're part of the community. And actually, it, it, it looks like Vic is going to be... Apparently, he didn't like some of the things we said. He's concerned about... Uh, that we're, we're basically brainwashing Jeannie, uh, that he may be calling. <laughs> He's, he actually asked in chat, he wants a lawyer. Uh, he, wants a, <laughs> he wants a rules lawyer. And I said, well, all we've got is Dan. And he didn't want a gnomish lawyer. So uh, We make the best lawyers. Uh, appa- apparently. Um, we're lawful. So, so gnomes he, are lawful. He may be calling in to defend himself. But, uh, Did you just say that gnomes are lawful? Aren't they lawful? Yes. Aren't they lawful? lawful? I think. Gnomes Why is he looking at Check your monster manual. Yeah. Really? They're chaotic? They're, they're not. Lo- yeah. All right. Hang on. Dwarves are lawful. Oh, okay. Halflings are lawful. Halflings aren't lawful either. Oh, well, okay. Uh, wait a second. N- neutral to lawful good. Right. Neutral to lawful. Okay. So we're so neutral to lawful good. So they're not as lawful as dwarves. Huh? And I would I would go so far as to say that the median alignment of the gnome is chaotic. Is there so halflings are lawful good? It says in the monster manual, lawful, they're lawful good. Dwarves are lawful what? good. Um, what the uh, halflings are lawful good in the monster manual? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Elves. So elves are the only ones that are so. So it would be elves are the most chaotic, obviously, right? Then I would I guess, say so. Then we'd have gnomes. Yeah. And then we'd have the halflings and the dwarves over here. Yeah. 
And I would think most half-orcs would be lawful because of their orc uh, Yes, because they're tribal relationships, yeah. I would say so, too. Right, okay. Uh, okay, so you were talking about, we were talking about the world of Greyhawk. Uh, yeah, I through Castle Entertainment, uh, one thing that I like to do is that I, uh, in lieu of official Wizards of the Coast support for the world of Greyhawk, my modules, I'm trying to expand on them and I'm trying to uh, to develop certain areas in the way that I would like to see them done. And in fact, I'm working on a magnum opus right now. Um, I have a cover done by Jeff Easley, a wow. uh, map done by Robert Lazaretti, and I'm about, about a thousand pages on, into a personal project on uh, one of the lands of Earth that I won't mention right now. Nice. Okay. Oh, yeah, some... when I'm done with that, that'll be a free product for everyone. Awesome. awesome. The, so, grog, the grog line is it's, apparently it's blo- heating it's up blowing today. up. The grog talk line is heating up. Who's on the phone now? It's Vic Dorsett. Oh, Vic's on the phone. The I'm sorry, who is that? It's Vic somebody. Vic? Vic, Vic somebody, Dorsett. Somebody named Vic is on the line. Some guy named Vic's on the line. Carlos is right there. That's the guy you want. He's right there. Well, uh, I think that's a doppelganger. Somebody called Amanda Rue. He doesn't have his sunglasses on like normal looking. <laughs> Somebody like he's uh, playing, just got out of the round of is, a world is, series of poker or something. <laughs> is that true? Carlos, do you use sunglasses to avoid players seeing your eye movements during the games? No, I'm uh, I'm nocturnal. I've worked uh, night shift for the last 16 years, so I'm very light sensitive. He's Plus, I've had a lot of I've had a lot of hockey related concussions, so I'm oh, pretty light. Uh, I gotcha. Okay, because you this know, as players, we're always nervous. We figured out oh, you're trying to play, you know, the poker face. No, not at all. It's intimidating. No, all. Okay, I'm, so I'm super light sensitive. So, so, so Vic, uh, I mean, so Vic, uh, Carlos can hear you. Um, you won't I be can't able hear to. Him. Yeah, you won't be able to hear him. Next time we're gonna, you know, if you want to come on, we'll do a Skype double Skype thing so you can all hear each other. But do you have a question or a statement that you want to make? We were very concerned about some of the genie's comments um, that you know that she's basically just a willing accomplice to her own demise. Yeah, she's so, the. Yeah, right. It's her fault. Right, it's her fault. It, it, Blame the victim. Well, right. It, it is. In my style of gameplay, she rules. The, she rules her fate. Remember that. I mean, yeah. any any rules lawyer, uh, Dan, <laughs> would agree to this, right? If you if you go into the game and you tell them you tell them that uh, you tell them that uh, they have to roll their own fate and they die, well then it's not my fault anymore, is it? It's not. It's not your. It's not his fault. This is the system. But who, who set up the encounter that required the die roll? What did you say, Dan? <laughs> so Dan is Dan is not supporting you on this. I feel like uh, maybe just because we just recently were killed horribly, uh, but but in a very entertaining way, we're we're not as sympathetic to the DM uh, plight yeah, of we're... providing uh, a fair environment, but yet ultimately the players have to have agency. But uh, he basically said it's your fault. I'm just paraphrasing. <laughs> and this is why Dan is a horrible courtroom lawyer. <laughs> That's right. Well. I, I, you know, he's the only lawyer we have, so this is what we get. Um, so how are you, Vic? Uh, just fine. Good. So, hey, do you have a question for uh, Carlos while he's on? Because we're about. Well, to... I'm still wondering where the sunglasses are, man. Oh, he still he, he still wants the sunglasses. I think he's just trying to. I think Carlos is, uh, didn't want to throw people off on 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 the podcast here. So, um, but yeah. he, he's he is yeah. offered just like you have. To run a game online and use one of his adventure cards, so I'm sure if he was in full game mode, he would he would bust out the uh, the sunglasses, uh-huh. so we get the get the full full effect from that. 
Oh, which would okay. be cool. But uh, you're doing well? Uh, yep. Well, well, uh, working, on, working on another dungeon already. Okay. Uh, with some inspiration from you folks. Awesome. And, uh, so, yep. Well, we, and, uh, I, I heard you're coming down in October, which would be awesome-tastic. We can't wait to uh, see you. Yeah, well, it's Carlos going to come down now. Well, I, I hope he can. He certainly has an invitation. We would love to have him, and we would uh, do what we can to uh, make that happen. Um, you oh. know, but I know he has game hall and a couple other things. So if you uh, you have an open invitation, we can reserve as you know. You can just come to play. You can come to DM whatever you'd like. We can we can arrange that. So, so. there actually anybody has an open invitation. That's it's true. A convention, right? Well, so. it is. Well, but to to run the game, you know, we're not just going to let any jabroni in here. That's uh, th- true. There could be a, it could be a master's level. You know, death indescribable death series. Oh, we could have an incomprehensible. You know, you talked about you could run like little like ten minute. So everyone can get a taste of it. Incomprehensible I death. Have, uh, I've promised my wife this year or next year that we're going to Harry Potter okay. World, so I may show up there. Oh, oh, wonderful. If you we come down to Harry Potter, please let us know because you know, we run. We have the Central Florida. If, if Carlos comes down, we can, we can, we can you know, like make 20 each, and then as the person walks up, they can roll a 20-sided die, and we can look at our sheets and go, okay, it's your turn, Carlos. Right. No, Just turn. take turns. <laughs> Take turns slaughtering the people. There'd be a line out the door. We have T-shirts. I got killed by, you know, different ones. You know, like red team, blue team. I got killed by Vic. I got killed I, by I, Carlos. Carlos or Vic. We right. just do a single T-shirt. Yeah. I got killed well, by Carlos yeah. or Vic. That's right. Well, there'd be a special T-shirt. Or both underneath. Or you get a card. Like, you know, you fill out. You go to those events where you go to each booth. Mm-hmm. You get stamped. If you get all the stamps. I was kill, killed by all the DMs. You get a prize. Oh, yeah. We yeah. Can, there you go. Dead by. Good try. Be perfect. That'd be slaughtered by. Well, we're gonna wrap. We're gonna wrap this up, Vic. I look forward to talking to you again. Come on the time uh, on Grog Talk anytime. And if you're gonna do it, we'll get your Skype set up so you can uh, jibber jabber with us next time. So. All right. Well, I got it downstairs ready to go. So you just tell me when you want me, and I'll make sure. And oh. uh, in the meantime, I've got three little boys here. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go up. Um, Make their incomprehensible death. So have a good day, gentlemen. Oh, hey, thanks a lot. Thanks. thanks talk to you later. Voice, Carlos says, yeah, take care. Bye. See you, Carlos. He says bye. Now, now, Carlos, before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners and our viewers how they can find your adventures? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, there's two ways. There's two primary ways you can get in touch with me. Either you can go to Facebook backslash or Facebook.com backslash Castle Entertainment or Patreon dot com backslash castle entertainment uh we uh fulfill both of our orders online personally through that way Fantastic. so uh, all you have to do is you have to look at our uh, our catalog in either place place an order and we'd be happy to get you stuff all we'll right set you up with some castle entertainment swag like these nifty t-shirts very nice things like that so uh that's awesome and and it's and again it's it's c-a-s-l or k-a-s-l just want to make sure c-a-s-l is my four initials just your mm-hmm. initials so castle entertainment both on facebook and patreon so mm-hmm. uh you've listened to our show we do the suggestion of the week suggestion um so carlos what is your suggestion of the week if you have one besides obviously going to patreon castle entertainment or, or facebook I have a great suggestion for the week uh, for dungeon masters that are interested in uh, making their maps really pop off the, uh, make them real eye-catching. Eye, eye There's a site out there called pyromancers.com, which okay. they create 
they create a uh, they have a uh, a tile based dungeon mapping program called Dungeon Painter, and it is outstanding. And with that and a little bit of help from Photoshop and post production, you can make some absolutely dynamite maps. If you feel like you want to be a little bit more involved in that. You can go to a site called incarnate.com, I-N-K-A-R-N-A-T-E.com. They also do maps. Both programs are completely free, and both of them are outstanding. They get uh, Kessel Entertainment seal of approval. Wonderful. Fantastic. Okay, uh, thank you for that, and I hope they fail their save and use both of those uh, items. Um, so my suggestion actually was from my son, my oldest son, who listens to the show, who's been on the show uh, when Dan wasn't here, um, he sent me a link to this really cool site. You know, a lot of times you build NPCs and you did a nice job developing characters, but if you're not an artist, uh, I have no artistic skill. Um, giving faces to them or having some artwork is very hard. Well, there's a, a site called This Person Does Not Exist. And it basically generates random faces based on the internet pictures. And you can just click through them, and it comes with these people don't exist, but they look like real people. And so, um, you know, you can spend, I know, hours doing it, but you can come up with uh, realistic pictures of people who they're free and they're people who do it. So it's actually fascinating looking at the pictures. I'm showing Dan here with this. So, um, you know, if you don't have artistic skill and you want faces for your players, you can just come up and boom. So this person does not exist is my suggestion as you're building your world. Um, you've got a map maker and then, you know, pre-gen the characters, um, if they're done right, they really add a lot of flavor and having a, a face to it can be good or bad depending on the style of play you have. So that's my suggestion. Fantastic. Uh, mine is going to be Osric, which I know that, uh, Carlos, uh, I know that you make your adventures compatible uh, to Osric. I do. Oh, and if you've got a copy of the book, that'd be great. I forgot to bring mine to show our viewers. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, it's, you know, you can pronounce it Osric or Osric. Uh, Osric is what we call a, call it, there it is. There, uh, Carlos is holding okay, up there you go. the Osric book, uh, which stands for Old School Reference and Index Compilation. And if you want to play 1E, but you don't want to spend the money buying the player's handbook, the Dungeons and Masters guide off of eBay, if you're a little intimidated about learning all those rules and you want something that's a little bit more uh, refined and simplified, uh, Osric replicates. Well, well, Carlos, why don't you go ahead and explain it? Because I know you use, you use Osric for your modules. So maybe you can describe a little bit what Osric is. Osric is a great clone of first edition. What it does is it neatly cleans up a lot of things in first edition, like encumbrance that were always bugaboos of the first edition uh, rule set. It, uh, it does it in a very nicely laid out manner. And best of all, uh, not only can you get your first edition experience that way, you can get it for free. You can download uh, Osric for free from their website, or you can buy it from my second suggestion, which is Blackblade Publishing. Okay. Blackblade Publishing... This is a book over here that is almost 400 pages over here, hardback, nicely done, and I got it for $20 from the guys from Black Blade. You're never going to beat that deal, and they're champions of the first edition uh, experience. They're great guys. Uh, I highly recommend that you buy your wares from them. Awesome. And the nice thing about it is you can use Osric for your modules, and you're not violating yeah. any copyright, right? So that's it's, yeah. it's all... Uh, it, Which is huge when you're trying to do something like I'm doing. 
Right. Right. Yeah, and I, I particularly for people who maybe like us had been spent decades out of the game, are thinking about getting back into it. They're a little bit leery about investing the money in the books. That Osric, that's what I did. Instead of buying the player's handbook and the DMG and all that, I bought Osric because it was it was cheap, but it, it encapsulated all the major rules that you would need. And so for anyone out there who's thinking about getting back into 1E, Osric, I think, is a great place to start and perhaps to stay. Uh, and just absolutely, yeah. Uh, it clarifies a lot of the rules. It's it's again a labor of love. People are you know they're doing it because they want the one e the old school uh, flavor and and move it forward to a modern time. So I think it, you know I was very impressed when I saw your version of it. If I didn't still have my original books from back in the day, I would definitely pick up a copy of it. So um, Carlos, right. thank you for your time. This has been awesome. I really had a great time. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, last word, anything you want to say before we head on out? And before he rolls his die 10. That's right, yeah, before you die 10. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Uh, I just want to let you guys all know out there that are watching this that uh, First Edition is still alive and well out there in the, in the hearts and the minds of the fandom. You see it at any convention you go to or in a lot of tables around the house, and there are still people out there supporting the world of Greyhawk in particular. So keep that in mind if you're fans. There are places for you to go. Well, that's what we're hoping. You know, Vic has a theory that as everyone gets old, they're going to retire down here. So we are trying to become the Gary Khan South uh, yes. of, of this, that, you know, when we're in our 70s and 80s, we're going to still keep playing. And this is where we'll end up. We, in, we were in thinking of, of, of opening up a retirement community yeah. for role players to yeah. retire to. So. Well, now that I know that you guys are on the map, it's something that my wife and I can shoot for. There Absolutely. That would be, that'd be awesome. Maybe we can see you in uh, uh, 20 years. Yeah, or plus so. or minus. Yeah. So, yeah. Retirement may oh, is I meant, be fun. I meant, I meant to game down there for a show. That would be great. I'd be happy to do that. Absolutely. We would we love would. it. Yeah. yeah. And, if, and uh, you know, uh, if, if, if you can get down here... Um, certainly, we could find accommodations as well if that made it a little easier. So oh, that be yeah, it would make it a lot easier. That's yeah. always the the big expense. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. and so if, and if you are down, Dan's here, got plenty of room in his place. No, I'm just kidding. We both have room. We would take care. I of do. That, I'm right? a my, uh, my wife, being an Australian citizen, I've promised her for the last 15 years that we've been married to show her more of America more and more, and I've been negligent in that. So showing her Florida and the states in between would be great. Oh, let me mention this real quick, too. So if you are down, you're going to go to Harry Potter World. We'd love to have you come game with us. We have something called the Central Florida AD&D Grognards Guild. We're on Meetup. Uh, James runs a group that actually has, what, 11 players? 11 to 13. 11 to 13 players in his group. We have another group that James plays in, yep. John runs, which has about, what, six five, or seven, six, seven right players? Now, yep, yep. And I run one-offs uh, about once a month where I get about four or five players. So yep. uh, if you are down in the neighborhood, like Vic Dorso was here. He was on the West Coast. He drove over and ran a game. So if you are in the neighborhood, please let us know in advance. If you're interested, you don't have to do it, but we'd love to have either you play or have you run something uh, uh, for a game. So, yeah, all kidding aside, like I said, if you want to come down here and, and the accommodation's the issue, we can take we can take care of that if you get us down oh, That's here, so. outstanding. That's fantastic. Thank yeah. you very much for your generosity. And thanks for giving me a, a chance to speak and uh, talk about Castle Entertainment. Yeah, awesome. So last thing is you got to roll the D10 and tell us. Yeah, 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 yeah. How, how yeah. well we did, or how well the, the game went. I did nine. Nine. Wow. I agree. Wow. Oh, and you know what I forgot? To, oh, I'm so sorry. You know what I forgot? We didn't talk about. We don't have time to do it. Is your love of animals? I foster kittens. 
And I know that one of your modules, right, Lost Dog, the proceeds yeah. go to a charity, right, that, that cares yeah, for uh, dogs? Yeah, charity. Uh, I did a, uh, a charity initiative called Red for uh, uh, a charity called Red Rover. And they, uh, one of their main uh, missions is to reunite lost pets with their owners. And they were like instrumental, for example, in uh, when California, when they had the wildfires and all the pets went missing and things like that, they helped reunite people. I thought it was a worthy cause. So I wrote a module called Lost Dog in which uh, it, it all revolves around a young beggar girl in the free seat of Greyhawk and her missing dog, Bucky. Oh, you know. That Red Rover sounds very similar to our book Reunification Project, where we seek to reunify. For example, we're looking for Kenny Cronell, right? Who we um, are? No, we're not looking for Kenny. Kenny's yeah. my friend. This is my Wait, friend. Kenny, if you're out there, no, we want to know. I know where he is. He's in St. Petersburg. So to, He's my friend. I know where he is. All this tall, Kearney. We're we're waiting for you. Oh, no, we're not looking for him. All right. So, all right. Well, it doesn't surprise me that uh, he that, that uh, Carlos rolled a nine. That is that is great. Actually, our our friend David's on. He's saying the Aussie connection uh, runs deep here. So we're uh, we've got Australians. We got everything going on. So uh, that's awesome. Hey, so uh, Carlos, hey, thank you so much. Thanks, Baron. Have, have have a great. Uh, appreciate all your uh, time today, and we look forward to uh, seeing you. So I'm James. I'm Dan, and we'll see you next week on Grog Talk. This has been a Bushy Puppy production. All rights reserved.